This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Wednesday. It's happening, folks. The week, half over. You're doing great. Keep plugging. You're doing fine. And by the way, it's Onion Rings Day. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Who doesn't love onion rings? It's the only way I can get my kids to eat onions. Greatest thing in the world. Also, uh, Chocolate Eclair Day. And who says you can't have both of them? Little Chocolate Eclair onion ring. It's uh, it's going to be a great day today. We, uh, you know, if you're in one of the, if you're one of the nine million people that now has a an advisory out because of the heat, just sit back, put on your headphones, turn off the hot yoga, and just <laughs> sit under the fan, and and sit back because we got a great show for you. We will be talking today about the Rio Olympics. You know, many are afraid that it is it's done. They're done. Not going to even be having the Olympics for heaven's sakes. It's crazy. The Zika virus, a lot of the athletes are backing out. Many uh, crazy things going on down there. The Jaguar, was it a Jaguar that got, um, that was killed, uh, had to be shot, taken out because, you know, it, it, was, it was part of the Olympic festivities, but it kind of got away from its handlers. That's scary. So we'll be talking with Shannon Sims, um, who is uh, an international journalist and um, a former uh, fellow of the Institute of Current World Affairs in Brazil, to find out kind of the state of the Brazilian Union. Their president uh, is, I think, on the verge of of um, getting – she's already been, I think, uh, impeached, but now they're they're finalizing the impeachment process. So – she is that creating problems. There's a lot of uh, political and, and, and economic issues there as well. So we'll just do a little review of the Rio Olympics and uh, the likelihood and success of that happening and going through. Also today, of course, we, we've got uh, one of my favorite guests, I think, really, um, ever. He's been on the show two or three times. Timothy Pitchell at, at 9 o'clock um, Mountain Time will be um, – he'll be – 9 o'clock Eastern Time, sorry, will be – our next guest. And the fun thing about Tim Pitchell is he's going to teach us how to no longer procrastinate. So uh, again, Ben, listen up and um, hopefully we can, we can really seriously uh, attack that issue that we've been struggling with with you. What issue? Just the issue of procrastination. Oh. So just now I'll wake you up. I'll wake you up when we're there. Can, can we do it? It'll be two hours away. No, we're going to do it today. We're going to do it today. Sorry. Um, yeah, I shouldn't have even told you. I just should have sprung it on you. I just got something. Yeah, you got, I know. You, you, that's usually when you're resting. Um, we'll get, we'll, I'll fill you in later. Don't even worry about it. Also, Jen and Ivan Owen will be joining us um, in the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow, these people are saints. And they figured out a way to use a 3D printer to basically print prosthetic hands for people. So now what used to cost thousands of dollars can cost hundreds of dollars with the goal of getting it down to about $35. And all of a sudden you can have a hand 
that uh, that works just like a regular hand, which is saving and changing the lives of thousands of people, potentially millions of people around the world. So we'll be talking to them as well. Remember, the goal of the show is to help you see the good in the world. And sometimes the news isn't always the, you know, it's hard to kind of cut through and always see the good. But if anyone can make the, the news sound good, it's going to be Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on with the headlines? <laughs> well, Matt, a group of nine senators on Tuesday unveiled a bipartisan compromise aimed at keeping guns out of terrorist hands um, in the wake of the Orlando shooting. The legislation spearheaded by Senator Suzanne Collins would prohibit people on the government's no-fly list and the government's selectee list used for extensive screening at airports from purchasing a gun. The bill would allow U.S. citizens and Greek card holders to appeal a decision blocking his or her purchase of a firearm and is successful to be awarded attorney's fees. It also contains a look-back provision so that if anyone has appeared in the government's broad terrorism database over the last five years, the FBI would be immediately notified if they attempt to buy a gun. So I think people will be happy about that. Hillary Clinton tore into Donald Trump's economic proposals during a speech in Columbus, Ohio on Tuesday. Not surprising, warning that his plans would, quote, throw us back into a recession. A few weeks ago, she said his foreign policy proposals and reckless statements represent a danger to our national security. She also said um, she, you know, said that, well, he's a businessman. He should be a lot better at this. So <laughs> and they're dar- tearing into each other yet again. Um, the Clinton Foundation's private network was reportedly breached by Russian hackers. Um, the breach was first identified by government investigators as early as last week and comes shortly after the Democratic National Tr- um, Committee reported being hacked and having its opposition research against Donald Trump stolen. The Trump and Sanders campaigns have also been briefed on security threats to their internal computers. The DNC has reportedly hired multiple security firms to identify the ha- attackers and stop any future breaches. The Department of Revenue raided all three locations of Gladys Knight's chicken and waffles restaurants in Atlanta on Tuesday as part of an investigation into her son, Shang... Shanga Hankerson, who was accused of stealing over $650,000 in sales and withholding taxes. Clayton County District Attorney Tracy Graham Lawson says her office has filed a civil anti-racketeering suit in order to recoup the taxes that are owed. Knight herself has not been accused of any wrongdoing in the investigation. And finally, Matt, Argentina put the U.S. to shame. Ah. Claiming a 4-0 victory in the Copa America semifinal and heading into the final. In Houston, Lionel Messi gave Argentina a lead against the U.S. in the first half and continued to overpower the U.S. team to the very end. Argentina is now set to face off against the winner of the Colombia versus Chile match on Thursday in the final. Did you see (sighs) Messi's goal? I didn't see his goal. The first one. I will now look at it right now as we sit here. But Messi... It was phenomenal. Don't mess with Messi. He stuck it. He was hitting a penalty shot. Went right around the wall. Stuck it in the beautiful... Just right in the right-hand corner. <laughs> Goalie missed <laughs> really? it by that much. Yeah, I mean, was this was phenomenal. seriously... Like, a, like what do they call this? A free kick? Penalty kick? And yeah, it was boink, a kick. Around the wall, as you said, in the upper right-hand corner. It was... Boink! Magically wow. just slipped right in that tiny pocket. Magically delicious, we say. On it, the show. Yeah, it was something like that. I'll tell you what, I, I, I love the United States, but yeah. I may or may not be rooting for Argentina. Well, Argentina, I lived there for two years. Oh, and right. Matt's Not okay. to brag, uh, learned to play some serious uh, football. Okay. Football. I mean, are you as good as Messi? Because I don't know. Uh, no, more. I'm more like Maradona. Oh, that makes sense. Not to brag. More of like a bench. Sort of. I sometimes have the hand of God where I punch a ball in with my hand and win the game. <laughs> Just something that like that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Man, that is a, sad for the Americans, but, uh, you but know, go that's, Argentina. that's the news, right, Caitlin? You can't make it up. It's just it is what no. it is. 
And anybody that hasn't seen it, go YouTube go it check right it out. now. Oh, messy. That was a good kick. Hey, uh, we've got so much to talk about today. The, tomorrow is the vote for Brexit, and that is in a toss-up right now. Is what's going to happen? Who knows? It can go either way now, they're saying. Mmm. That is a weird deal. The day that uh, England's no longer in the in the eurozone participating and uh, I mean this is this could change our lives folks this could change our lives and uh, Donald met with the evangelicals last uh, yesterday which is always fun to hear him talk scripture and try to sound you know like he's <laughs> he's into it he says he even critiqued uh, Hillary Clinton about her uh, her religious beliefs and her views about uh, Religion. I don't know. It just seems like it's just weird, you know, because at least with uh, with some of these others that are so, you know, evangelical or so religious driven, they they're fluid in the language of the scriptures. And it just seems more natural. These two seem like it's more of a weird fight over religiosity. Who can fake it the best? Mm -hmm. Yeah, It, it feels it feels like not sincere. Now, I don't know why. Two Corinthians? That should surprise me. But, yeah, two, two Corinthians. I mean, it shouldn't – none of this should surprise us, right? Um, anything in the news that shocked you this week? Uh, the Jaguar really bummed me out. Uh, you mentioned that. I have that story here. And the part of it that – so the Jaguar, it was killed on Monday at a zoo attached to a military training center where the Olympic torch ceremony was held in Rio. A soldier filed, fired a single pistol shot when the escaped animal, despite being tranquilized, approached the soldier. So they tranquilized it, and it kept moving. Uh-huh. So they put it down. Uh. It says, we made a mistake in permitting the Olympic torch, a symbol of peace and unity, to be exhibited alongside a chained wild animal. This image goes against our beliefs and values, the local organizing committee said. We guarantee that there will be no more such incidents at Rio 2016. Hey, put the animals away, guys. I'm like, well, I'm not we sure. got to put the animals away. Boy. Yeah, and it said uh, the Jaguar featured at, at an Olympic torch ceremony was shot dead by a soldier shortly after the event. Um, the animal escaped from its handlers. Uh, there, at one point I was reading an article where they're like, you know, we're, we're not sure why the animal was even there. It's a Jaguar. It wasn't, like, cleared by anyone. Someone just – yeah. They're at this training facility, so they brought a Jaguar. <laughs> well, it just – it's a neat symbol. And so animal rights groups are – Now everyone's nuts mad. And, and it's kind of a bad start. Well, they've had several bad starts. Well, it could have been worse. I mean because the guy with the Olympic torch is kind of kneeling right in front of the Jaguar. The couch is floating down the river. That's, that's a bad start. That's a bad start. But, you know, what they should do, they should have maybe had the Olympic torch carrier, you know, sitting on the couch as it floats down the river. That, that would have been interesting. But kind of a weird Simpsons episode. Poor Jaguar. Really? I mean, there's a lot of animals dying because of just, you know, also, mishandling. Also, earlier, uh, the Brazilian state of Rio has declared a financial emergency less than 50 oh, days boy. before the Olympics. Yeah. The interim governor says that a serious economic crisis threatens to stop the state from honoring commitments for the Games. Most public funding for the Olympics has come from Rio's 
city government, but the state is responsible for areas such as transportation and po- uh, policing. The governor has blamed the crisis on tax shortfalls, especially from the oil industry, while Brazil's overall has faced a deep recession. Huh. The measure could accelerate the release of federal emergency funds. So they declare a public calamity Ooh. over finances is how they termed it. Well, this is this is, again, why we need to bring on our first guest in a few minutes, yeah. because we got to find out. Are they even going to have an Olympics? People are saying we should just not do them. <laughs> just back out. They're 50 days out. How do you back out of the Olympics? Now, athletes are backing Rory McIlroy came yeah. out, and he's a golfer. He says he's not going to compete for his for Ireland. But, I mean, you don't want to go down there and risk, for these men, if you get the Zika virus, it's dangerous. For, I mean, and it's and it, it's, it could impact your offspring for what, a year, nine mm-hmm. months to a year. Right. It's just it's it's just a weird world we're living in right now, right? Not only did Argentina beat the Americans, the USA. Come on, it's crazy. So, um, but now the Olympics are struggling. We'll talk about the Olympics coming up here. Yeah, with Shannon Sims, yep. our guest coming up. Now back to Trump, as Trump. you were talking about. He's going to uh, deliver. Last week he delivered a huge. Allegedly huge, the way he termed it, huge speech about Hillary Clinton and some of her policies and things. Today, he's going to deliver yet another tremendous, really speech. I'm using that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe he used it. It's. I mean, the odds that he used used the word tremendous are really high. So I'm going to use the word tremendous. Sure, sure. About Hillary Clinton and regarding the election is what it says. What. Uh, later confirmed the appearance will include anti-Clinton remarks that had been scheduled for delivery earlier in the month. Wow. For some reason were postponed and they're going to deliver them now. Well, so Donald Trump had enough control to not deliver them earlier and now he's going to deliver them. Apparently. He says the speech was as expected to include Trump's claims that she and former President Bill Clinton have profited off their public service, was initially scheduled for last week, but was delayed oh. in favor of Trump's remark on the Orlando terrorist attack. Well, how ironic is this? Because this statement is going to take place just after they found out that Clinton's records have been uh, hacked into. Yes. And now there there might be they might be able to now release not just embarrassing information like they did about Trump, but also information about Hillary Clinton and the global Clinton Global Initiative. Oh, this is getting intense. And finally, yes, Representative Stephen King from Iowa. Not not the author. Not the author. Another guy named. Unfortunately, he has to probably run without most of his life. Did you write those books? No, No, the other guy. (laughs) So Stephen King, he proposed a bill to block the inclusion of Harriet Tubman on the twenty dollar bill. Yeah, dodging. Why? Well, he proposed it. It was uh, blocked by the the House. They said, "No, we're not going to deal with that." But here's here's his reasoning for this. He said he filed the amendment to the bill uh, funding the Treasury Department to prohibit the department from redesigning any currency to showcase the abolitionist icon. But the Rules Committee denied the consideration for uh, to you know be discussed on the floor. So it's been blocked. He says it's he says it's not about Harriet Tubman. It's about keeping the picture on the twenty. King said Tuesday evening, pulling a $20 bill from his pocket and pointing at President Andrew Jackson. He goes, you know, why would you want to change that? I'm a conservative. I like to keep what we have. He likes to conserve. Right. He goes, the conservative, like a gladfly? What does that mean? 
don't know. It's an older term that I'm unfamiliar with. He said it's racist and sexist to say a woman or person of color should be added to currency. It's a fly that bites li- livestock, especially a horsefly, warblefly, or botfly. <laughs> and, or it's an oh. annoying person, especially one who provokes others into action by so, criticism. So Politico is calling him annoying. Yeah. Well, it's an allusion to Socrates' apology. There you go. So it says – B. He says it is racist and sexist to say a woman of, or a person of color should be added to currency. He goes, here's what's really happening. This is liberal activism on the part of the president that's trying to identify people by categories. He is dividing us up on lines of groups. This is a divisive proposal on the part of the president, and mine is unifying. It says, just don't change anything. Okay. So tell me, Matt, what is what is this representative trying to say? Well, I think he's just trying to make an argument that he doesn't have, except – we shouldn't ever change anything. Yeah. We shouldn't ever add another face to another coinage ever, ever. And if we added a face, I guess if we wanted to keep it the same, we'd have to add a male white face. Yeah. So isn't that the same thing that he's arguing? That it's, it's he's just saying Clinton's doing it by using stereotype or women and men and or women and African Americans, but white males of what we've always done, we may as well keep it that way. Unless we need more money in the future, then it should just be more white males. Come on. It doesn't seem to track. There's some definitions. I'm not sure he knows that. Well, I think he just is trying to make up a story for why he doesn't want an African-American abolitionist on on money. (laughs) Come on. It's just a cool idea. Anyway, what do you do? We'll take a break, folks, when we come back. Uh, Shannon Sims will be joining us. We'll be talking about Brazil and uh, the, the Olympics, the Rio Olympics. Are they ready for it? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know, as political unrest grows in Brazil and the threat of the Zika virus stays ever so present, many worry about the 2016 Summer Olympics. Are they on the verge of failure? With uh, the opening ceremony set to commence on August 5th, all eyes are on the shaky grounds of Rio. What uh, will the Olympic Games look like in the midst of political uncertainty with their president and health and safety concerns of the athletes? Many athletes are actually pulling out, not even going to go participate because of the threat of Zika. And will Brazil be able to unite a nation um, as a nation to, to be able to host these things? It's it's a big it's a big deal. And uh, joining us now to help us answer some of these questions is Shannon Sims, who's an independent journalist that wrote um, a wonderful article about this um, in Forbes. And uh, Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. And thanks for helping us make sense of this. Um, you know, Utah, we ha- we hosted a Winter Olympics here, and there was a little scandal around that, which made it so, you know, there was a little division sometimes in in the people. But the unrest going on in Brazil is is immense. The president um, is has been impeached, and or is a, I guess a, is uh, has been impeached, right, since um, – but. <laughs> Go ahead. She's been removed from office, but she hasn't been officially right. impeached. They're waiting for the vote. Going on right now. Yeah. 
is what do you see as you look at it and and you know as as you've been kind of researching it and investigating how how's brazil uh how do they feel do they feel ready to do this and and what what do we, they need to kind of sort through in order to make this a success yeah well the timing of these games is um i mean it's something out of a script from a movie you couldn't really write the timing more dramatically so just to put it into context what we're looking at is the president the former president of brazil Dilma Rousseff, who as i mentioned was removed from office on allegations of kind of sketchy uh bookkeeping there's an interim president uh, michelle temer who currently is the president of brazil um, but what's going on is there's a trial going on in the background um, being held against the former President Rousseff to determine if she will be officially impeached or not. Mm. The results of that trial could come out three days before the opening ceremony of the Olympics. <laughs> oh, wow. So this is like high drama going on here, even for a country that loves drama like Brazil. So, yeah. I mean, in, in, in the Brazilian press, you know, the... Um, Similes to House of Cards episodes, to telenovelas, all of those are very apropos for what's going on here. And, and, um, and by the way, the results will come out three days before, and that could put the president back in office before the Olympics, depending? Well, that's a, that's a really excellent question, and that's the kind of question that everybody um, who's kind of on the inside is trying to grapple with. I mean, um, the idea of having some kind of a shift go on right before the games is, is not a good look for anyone. So right. I would doubt that that would happen. Um, and I, and most likely she will be impeached. I mean, there are a few people who think that she won't be impeached because technically, yeah, she didn't like do the right thing. Technically she didn't follow the law. And so um, she will be impeached. The reason why, um, you know, many people call this a coup is because, um, She's being charged with something that is considered a little bit of an arcane law, kind of in the details of what is right and what is wrong, when in the grander scheme of things, um, the large majority of Brazilian politicians commit way more grievous errors of corruption. I mean, there are Congress members who are charged with murder. We're not talking about small-time stuff. So um, that's part of why it's being called um, a coup by some people. Um, which is not to say she didn't do anything wrong, but it's just to say what she did wrong relative to what other people are doing wrong and what, you know, the number two, number three, number four, number five in line people <laughs> do wrong is relatively small. Oh, this is so, crazy. And by the way, this is on the back, right, of of just years and years and years of trying to get the stadiums built and get the funding for the stadiums and and make all of the decisions you have to make. Yeah, I mean, if you are... Um, you know, inside the International Olympic Committee and, you know, you've been planning this event for a decade and, you know, this is pretty much worst case scenario going down. Um, you've got, it's not just a political crisis that's going on in Brazil. It's an extreme economic crisis. The economy is um, in a depression that hasn't been seen since the 30s in Brazil. Mm. So this is, it's, it's really extreme. It's hitting people really hard. It's very real for many Brazilians. Um, who have lost their jobs, inflation is going up, you know, the price of a tomato is, you know, twice what it used to be, stuff like that. So the living is hard in Brazil right now, which makes a very extreme contrast to have all of these, you know, Americans and other people carrying their flags, cheering and drinking in the streets and having a big party, you know. It couldn't be a bigger dichotomy 
from the reality of Brazil right now. And are they are they ahead of? So I mean, man, you've got the you've kind of got the backlash of the the economic issues. They're spending billions on all of these buildings while people are just wanting to eat. Um, so they see all of that going on, corruption in their presidency's office, and then I guess on top of it. As if there wasn't enough tension, we add a Zika virus. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane to think about. Um, the What's going on with Zika is totally disturbing. The timing of it is, is again, you know, feeds into this extremely dramatic storyline, except it's not a storyline. It's real life for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, mothers giving birth to babies with deformities, with major congenital problems as a result of the mother being stung by a mosquito, which who doesn't get stung by a mosquito when they right. go to Brazil? And so that's part of um, what's generated a little bit of a climate of fear. I should say, though, um, that there's a real difference between um, talk of Zika abroad and then talk of Zika in Brazil. So whenever I go back to the U.S., everybody's asking me about Zika. Oh, you're so crazy to go to Brazil. What are you doing, Donna? When I'm in Brazil, not really anybody's talking about Zika. <laughs> and the reason is because considering all of the problems that are going on in Brazil between an economic crisis, a political crisis, there's been and you know several crimes of really high-profile graphic nature that um, the country has been rallying around. There are major social issues going on in terms of the rights of women, the rights of gays and lesbians that are major national conversations right now. Zika's kind of at the bottom of the list for them. Wow. And and considering all of the things, diseases you can get in Brazil from being stung by a mosquito, which dengue is one of them, you know, mm-hmm. there are a whole variety of things that can cause you a problem. It's like Zika is just another thing to add to the list, is, is the attitude that I get from a lot of Brazilians as uh, I'm lathering <laughs> on myself, freaking out, you know. <laughs> yeah, you smell like a chemical plant. Um, You smell like some of the, sadly, the rivers we hear the reports about that they're trying to clean up. I mean, the money that is being spent to just make this party go off um, and and it's turning. It just sounds like it sounds like Brazil's just being twisted. They're they're like being wrung out. Well, um, you know, that's that's a complicated question. So technically speaking, these games are. You know, they're saying that they're going to be one of the cheapest Are that they? have been held. Yeah. Um, now, Sochi was a, a high watermark for high cost. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's happened is there's been a real shift in Sochi. So I, I did an interview um, for um, NPR with the leader of the protest movement against Boston winning the Olympics. So um, Boston was bidding for the, I think it's the 2024 Olympics, um, that Boston was bidding to be the U.S. rep for, and a huge protest movement came out. I mean, there are always protest movements a little bit against getting the Olympics, but this was on another scale, and it was so strong that it actually shut down the Boston bid, and now Mm. L.A. is the U.S. candidate. Um, But that hadn't happened before, and so there's a clear shift um, against the Olympics going on. People are saying, why are we spending so much money on a one-time party when, you know, that money could be going into schools, it could be going into health systems. Right. You know, what city doesn't need that cash for their schools? Every city in the world, even first world countries, you know, as they call them. Yeah. So um, that that also, that, that sensation is going on in Brazil. People just say, you know, is this a joke? You know, we're spending billions of dollars for a velodrome, you mm-hmm. know, that's like way outside of town. You know, who's going to use this? You know, 
we have poverty rates that are like starting to creep back up in Brazil, you know, so, so, um, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right that there's a, a real distinction going on between the party atmosphere and a crisis on the ground. Yeah. Well, and we've, we've seen it here too. And there's always, and it'll turn out beautiful and it'll all work, but, um, it doesn't mean that they're always profitable, right? And it doesn't mean that, it was always a good idea anyway. Um, one of the things, too, that if I just recalled was they, they just did the, the World Cup there in soccer last year, wasn't it, or a year or two ago? Right. So yeah, add all of that onto this, too. Yeah, I mean, and that, you know, maybe if the World Cup hadn't happened, um, the the feeling among Brazilians would be really different. But the World Cup, I mean, who gets the World Cup in right. the Olympics within two years? That's, you know, not yeah. a normal situation to have. And so... Um, for the World Cup, you know, one distinction to make is that the Olympics are held only in Rio. So it's only in Rio de Janeiro. The World Cup is held all over the country. Right, the okay. Really spread all over the country. So it was much more of something where if you're living in the Amazon near Manaus, you know, you are impacted by the World Cup, whereas now you would not necessarily be so directly impacted by the Olympics. It's more if you live in Rio, so you're directly impacted. Yeah. But people saw with the World Cup, I mean... Um, Today, when I fly around Brazil, I'm, it's so crazy because everybody predicted it would happen, and so it's bizarre to actually see it, the predictions come true. Everyone predicted these big stadiums would be built at a super high cost for the World Cup all around Brazil and then be left to just kind of gather dust um, and just millions of dollars kind of washed away for a one-time event. And a lot of, you know, a lot of times politicians say, no, we're going to turn, we're going to use it every day. We're going to, you know, kids are going to use it. It's going to save families. That doesn't really happen. So now when you fly around Brazil, whenever I'm flying in and out of these cities that were World Cup host cities, you see as you're approaching the airport, this big monstrosity white structure, you know, and I always mm-hmm. notice it from the plane. And I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's the World Cup Stadium, you know, yeah. sitting there with like rust running down the sides of it. It's in the middle of nowhere, far from the city, no cars around it, you know, and it's that what what people predicted would happen is exactly what's happening with those stadiums. And so if you live in those cities, you see that firsthand, and, and that's just a constant frustration to feel, you know, if you're a Brazilian, you feel like you were had, you know, yeah. you think about how much money um, went into that. And so that that vibe um, is going on again um, with the Olympics, you know, as Brazilians watch the news of, you know, as construction costs, you know, creep up, that's what they're thinking. They're, they have that image in their head. Mm. Oh, stadiums. yeah, yeah, like taken advantage of or whatever. Oh, and and uh, again, we, we and we see that in other uh, countries as well that end up hosting these big events. Um, let's take a break. We're speaking with Shannon Sims, who is an independent journalist and a, an international lawyer as well, former fellow of the Institute of Current World Affairs in Brazil, and uh, she is um, she's wrote a, she wrote a wonderful article. Will massive political unrest derail the Olympics? History suggests no. We wanted to pick her brain to find out what's really going on in uh, Rio and Brazil. Are they are they ready for the Olympics? We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
On the line with us is Shannon Simmons. She is an independent journalist who wrote an article for Forbes.com. Will massive political unrest derail the Rio Olympics? History suggests no. And uh, we've been picking her brain to find out what she thinks as as Rio de Janeiro is dealing with, uh, you know, and the whole country really, I guess, is dealing with um, sketchy bookkeeping from their president that has now had her impeached and uh, potentially um, now waiting for a congressional vote on impeachment. Um, also, we've got to remember that they've had a major economic collapse and a crisis there. Zika virus is adding to that, plus a lot of really high-profile uh, crimes that have gone on, social issues. It's it's almost like the uh, just the storm, hopefully before the rainbow comes and brings out all the light and the beauty. Um, what do you think, Shannon? First of all, thanks again for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Do you think they're going to be able to... Uh, pull themselves out? Are they going to, are they going to make this work? Well, you know, I wondered that myself. And so I called up um, a few professors who are actually experts um, on this topic. Um, And what they told me is that if you look back at history, it's going to go off just fine. Despite all of these problems, everything that would seem to be cause to cancel a party. You know, if it were yeah. a party at my house, I'd be like, let's <laughs> let's call it off, guys. We're done. Too much but, Zika. Um, Too much Zika at your house. <laughs> leave the Zika at the door, please. Yeah. Um, but what we see when we look back in history is that this is not the first time you've had a major crisis kind of building right before the Olympics. So the comparison that I found to be the most um, in line with what's happening was the Mexico City Olympics in 68. They had a massacre, okay, in Ooh. a public plaza um, just right before the opening ceremony. Um, and it didn't change anything. The games went off. It was the historic, you know, very historic games, a successful Summer Olympics. And so what we see from looking at that comparison is that kind of the power of the, you know, momentum of the Olympic Games is mm. stronger than any um, local unrest. Yeah, um, which is kind of frightening to think of, you know, that the Olympics are going to steamroll their way um, over any kind of local problems. But it's also comforting in a way. I mean, I think nobody in the world wants to see um, this be a disaster. Right. You know, even Brazilians, um, they don't want to see this be a disaster because everybody's cheering for these athletes. You know, this isn't. Um, you know, people who play in basketball or baseball or football or whatever, they have their outlets. But if you are, you know, a rower, if you are a gymnast, you know, this is the moment when you're really on the world stage. Not many people watch world championships for those sports, and so this is it, you know. So so I, I think that, you know, most people genuinely hope that it, it goes fine. You wouldn't want to see these athletes' dreams dashed. That's not a win for anyone. And yeah. so. Although it's causing many problems, although there are calls by groups of Brazilians for people to boycott the Olympics and everything, um, at the same time, what we see from history is that the Olympics will probably go off fine, and um, I think a lot of people would be happy for that to happen. You bet. I mean, and not to mention the fact that, I mean, just I know the security measures have to go up dramatically, the threats of terrorism. I mean, all the things that you have to prepare for that might not normally be happening on top of all of this. But one of the things I know that they do with these type of events is they kind of sell you in Brazil and they did Utah and every other, you know, Olympic site that, 
you know, buy all, put the infrastructure up, get the velodrome in, put all of this this stuff up, put the money in, and it'll all pay off in, uh, you know, in travel and in vacationers just flooding to Brazil over time. And that that's usually the promise. Um, do do you sense? And did that happen after um, after the World Cup came to Brazil? Did it improve vacationing? Did it improve travel to Brazil? Um, well, that is exactly the gamble that you know sponsors take when they sign on these epically huge deals um, to become an, an official sponsor of the Olympics. You know that's the gamble they're taking. Yeah. that um, the payoff will be worth it. Um, I think with the World Cup, it was a little bit of a surprise for people that, um, I mean, there were huge street protests going on in the lead-up to the World Cup. I was there on the ground. I I saw them with my own eyes. Um, But something that I was surprised to see on the ground is, you know, I was an American who had been living in Brazil for several years at that point, and it was kind of stunning to me to look around. All of a sudden, there were just floods of Americans dressed in red, white, and blue coming down for the World Cup. And, um, you know, they say that, you know, the, Brazil is a sexy destination. Yeah. That's the word that's always that's always used to be connected to it. We're not talking about like a boring country. We're talking about a huge, dynamic, totally um, disproportionately beautiful country. Yeah. Um, with everything you could possibly want for in a vacation, and so a lot of Americans have been kind of wanting to go to Brazil anyway. When the World Cup happened, they were on that plane. Also, it's not such a it's a direct flight from a lot of U.S. cities you know, right. straight down to, to Rio, so it's not a big deal. Um, and I think that we'll also see a lot of Americans come down for the games. They're the you know biggest economy closest to Brazil, and so it would make sense that you know they would be a major factor in pumping up the dollars that would be returned back to the sponsors. In terms of the long-term benefit for tourism or travel or these things, that's more of a question. I mean... Um, Brazil is a beautiful country. I've traveled all over it, and I've seen its, its many beauties. But it's still a developing country. It can be hard to get around. And we're talking about dirt roads, potholes, you know, bus strikes, all that kind of stuff that that comes with the territory when you're traveling outside of you know Europe or the U.S. Yeah, right. Much. And it's, so, um, well, and I saw I mean, it. I, if you're an adventure traveler, go, go. You know, you'll yeah. have a good time. <laughs> it's 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 so true, and. Just watching the World Cup, um, I fell in love with Brazil. I thought, oh man, how exotic, how cool, how fun! And, and you know, they always make the they always make the parties look fun and the people fun and um, the celebration of it all. So, I mean, in my heart, I feel I have good feelings for Brazil because of all of it. And yet, then then you hear the news stories, right? And you hear all the pain and the problems. Um, but it really isn't it interesting. It's such a it's just such a dichotomy. It's kind of this. Um, is it good or is it bad? And it's kind of both. It's a paradox. And I guess I guess that's what everyone ends up having to deal with when it comes to these bigger events. And then add on top of it everything else, right? And Yeah, I mean, for me, that's something that, you know, when I first went to Brazil, I wasn't planning on becoming like a Brazilianist. Yeah. Um, and, and I was one of the many people who was, I'd never been there before, and I was totally taken with the culture. Um, it is a place that, that culturally, you know, they, they have studies on what do different cultures value. Well, you know, some cultures value a work ethic and some cultures value family. Well, Brazil values fun. You know, that's really a strong value. It doesn't matter how bad things get. On Sunday, people are going to be out. They're going to be drinking beer. They're going to be dancing. The streets are going to be full, you know, without fail. 
And so that, that culture is, is very attractive to a lot of people, especially if you're on vacation. You want to go to a place that's fun. Right. Um, the dark side of that is that Rio is a very dangerous city. You know, out of, I think out of like the 50 most dangerous cities in the world, you know, Brazil's got like 10 or something on the list. It's, I mean, we're wow. not talking about, yeah. you know, the <laughs> right. destination, right? Yeah. Um, of course, a lot of that is related to, you know, drug trafficking, which if you're not trafficking drugs, you're probably not going to be directly involved in those kind of statistics. However, there is a lot of petty crime. I mean, almost every time I'm, you know, going for a jog, you know, along the boardwalk in Rio, almost every time I see somebody get, you know, robbed. Oh, wow. It's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. Um, and so I personally am, am nervous about, you know, fun-loving Americans going down there, you know, and kind of being loose-pocketed and not aware of their surroundings, we're definitely going to hear some, you know, not good stories. It's almost impossible that we wouldn't hear um, some bad news on that front. However, that doesn't seem to deter people. Um, I think that even people who I've talked to have had, like, awful situations happen to them when they're traveling in Brazil. You know, I got, you know, held up at gunpoint. They're like, but, man, the samba the next day was amazing. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) What a samba. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. This has been true for a long time in Brazil. If you listen to the lyrics of Brazilian music, it talks about how, all you know, in spite of all these bad things, we still have a great time, you know. Yeah. That's kind of the under-running theme. Well, it's. I mean, I think it's... It is what it is now, right? It's the, the games are on. Let the games begin. They just got to make it to that fateful date in uh, August, right? Right, exactly. August 6th is the opening ceremony. Um, and from that point, it'll be, you know, if you remember, every time it's the Olympics, it's like bam, bam, bam. Oh, yeah. With the events. So um, it'll be really packed days. Um, it'll be hard to keep track of how many, you know, news items are coming out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's going to be an exciting time. If you live in Rio, it's going to be a little bit of a nightmare. You know, yeah. the traffic, um, the, you know, crime, everything, it's all going to go up. There's no way it won't. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people are still hoping that this will be a successful game. Yeah. Well, Shannon, I appreciate it. And that that was a great article uh, in Forbes. Keep writing and keep bringing us good and, well, not always good news, but the real news from Brazil as well. Shannon Sims, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh, really, wow. A lot of pressure on one little country. You know, you want to be big, you end up getting a lot of big opportunities, and then life happens around you. It's it's tough, but uh, we'll be watching for and hoping for their success. Let's take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, trying to bring you the good in the world. And uh, Brazil, you're one of those great things. We just uh, hope and pray you can make it through the next couple of years, probably. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It sounds like they're going to make it. I mean, Rio, barely. A convergence of every problem you could ever have. Plus a few that probably haven't even been discovered yet. There's an you know economic, political. Yeah. They, there's a high crime rate. Uh, a major virus. There's a virus <laughs> running in the country. So it's hard, and just the theft that's going on. So maybe the solution would be if they could just find a food that they could fry. That would turn the entire Rio Olympics around. Hey, I have one. Oh my! I heavens. have an idea. What could it be? You ever had a fried Twinkie? 
No. A deep fried Twinkie. Usually they're but it sounds the heavenly. kind of thing you find at the state fair where for some reason in this yeah. country we decide to just take random objects and deep fry them. Is it on a stick? No. Because I, you know, the Iowa fair, they always have things on sticks. Now, the, the deep fried Twinkies, if you remember, the, the hostess company declared bankruptcy in 2012. I know. Causing a great national nightmare that we would be without Twinkies. I think it was a depression. And for a while, we were without Twinkies. They were not being made. <laughs> but they were on the shelves because they can last like 500 years, apparently, sure. because there's nothing like real in them. <laughs> Don't be rude. I'm not being rude. They're, it's real. There's real stuff in They're a chemistry it. experiment that is oh so tasty. Mm. I remember walking into a, a grocery store and they brought out a pallet. They just took a pallet and dropped it in the middle of the aisle and it was just a feeding frenzy of people grabbing Twinkies because they'd been <laughs> off the market for a while. People are they're like people are sick. They had shopping carts. With are like those Twinkies? Twenty boxes of Twinkies in them. I'll take like, a crate. Wow. Well, um, so the, I found this story. They're they're putting out a new product. Yeah, they're called deep fried Twinkies. They're in the frozen food aisle. Ah, oh, sounds because good. they're pre deep fried. Pre pre deep fried. Then and they're frozen. Then you freeze them. So you toss them in the oven. Well, that's good. Then they're not. Oh, oh. then you <laughs> toss they, them in the oven. Yeah, you, you, you got to warm them up. You I warm guess. them up, and then they come out all warm and gooey. Speaking of warm and gooey, what sound was that, dude? I'm not sure. He doesn't that, appreciate Twinkies. This sounds delicious. No, that doesn't sound very good so, to me. So it says, unlike regular Twinkies, consumers will find the new deep-fried variety in the frozen food section. The cream-filled snacks are battered and then fried before they're boxed and frozen. Mm. That's That sounds great. I mean – then you just heat them up, and you then they come out with oh, and they would just be warm and, and yummy. And this is, uh, I think this, yeah, this is BuzzFeed that's doing a taste test. Oh, of they're like they baking are. the Twinkie creates a crunchy exterior and warm liquid feeling. Yes, they're greasy to the touch. See, a deep fry needs to be fresh, fresh deep fry. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you ever been had a deep fry that didn't ta- taste fresh? It's just wrong. It's just. It's just. But the thing that I think makes this isn't necessarily the deep fry. It's the it's the word fry, and the word Twinkie. You fry a Twinkie, bada boom, bada bing, you are near heaven. There's two varieties. There's chocolate and original. What's a chocolate Twinkie? It's like a chocolate filling. Oh, oh. Well, now we're that's oh. So then it says I've never had a chocolate filled. Somehow, Twinkie. somehow the chocolate Twinkie has less fat, cholesterol, and sodium than the original flavor. Well, I'd go for that one. It's healthier. It's lightly fried with a less uh, lower fat chocolate. And filling. apparently, one Twinkie is fourteen percent of your daily recommended daily fat intake. So if I had two of them. <laughs> You're done almost. Then I don't need to have a meal. So you could have about seven Twinkies a day. Yeah. They're also coming out with a new Twinkie, math. a new Twinkie with a green filling for the Ghostbusters movie. Really? Yeah, I'm not oh, sure yeah. if it's going to be minty or if it's just green, but Ghostbusters. <sighs> so what do you think? Deep fried Twinkies? I have a feeling that that still won't help the Olympics. No, but would it make it better? For sure. It would improve it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you put it on a stick, bada boom, bada bing. What they need to do is get all of the vendors that are at the Iowa Fair, you know, with pork chop on a stick, all of those things on a stick, get them down to Rio. Let's yeah. put some repellent on them so they don't get Zika. <laughs> I'm telling you, they'd make a killing. They would pay for all of their facilities. Right? Plus, they'd feed the criminals right. that are pickpocketing everybody. 
It'd distract him with the Twinkies. Oh, the Olympics. It's a hard game to have to host. Um, interesting. Good, good news on the Twinkie front, though. If you're keeping notes, life's not that bad. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, a whole new hour, more information, ideas to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Your life coach here, Dr. Matt. So good to be with you. Hour number two of the program. And man, have we got a great show for you. We are going to be talking with some... uh, some pretty impressive people, Jen and Ivan Owen. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get them um, on the line. They are changing the world one prosthetic hand at a time. And they figured out that if you use a 3D printer, you can make a prosthetic hand uh, for people in um, in countries that, uh, that, A, can't afford thousands and thousands of dollars to go get a hand. Now you can just download... Instructions off of the internet. Uh, go find a, a 3D printer, and you can print a functional 3D hand that works like the ones you spend top dollar for. So we will be speaking with this wonderful couple who are about to win um, an award for their service and their work, and uh, just get into their charity and and the work that they put forward to um, change lives. We'll be speaking with them. Also in the show, we've got a lot of uh, other. <laughs> crazy headlines, including coming up an alert. This is an alert. Do not put baby powder. Do not put baby powder in your wife's blow dryer. Should we also put the trigger warning? Trigger warning. If you are afraid of flames flying out of your hair dryer. Into your face. Into your face and hair setting off the fire alarm, you might want to watch out for this story, which we will be getting to in just a few moments. I'm scared of that. Do not put baby powder. In your wife's blow dryer. Don't put it in anyone's blow dryer. Not even your worst enemy. ISIS, put it in their blow dryer. But don't put it in anybody you care about. Apparently ISIS is experimenting with this yeah, technique. The totally. Um, ISIS thought that they could slowly bring the country down one hair dryer at a time. Not a so good idea. If oh, my gosh. If you're buying a, a hair dryer, check for baby powder before you use it. Seriously, shake out your blow dryer. Just tap it down. If, if any... If any white substance comes out of your hair dryer that that isn't yours, get rid of it. Danger. So um, we'll be getting to that in a minute. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on in the headlines around the country. Caitlin, what's up? Well, it's not blow dryers, but House Speaker Paul Ryan on Wednesday unveiled a Republican alternative to Obamacare. The health care agenda called A Better Way would repeal the Affordable Care Act but keep the more popular aspects of the law. Ryan's plan would, for instance, allow children to stay on their parents' insurance coverage until age 26. Paul and other Republicans have been vocal critics of President Obama's health care overhaul since it was implemented in 2010. The law cannot be fixed, a draft of Ryan's proposal states. Obamacare has limited choices for patients, driven up costs for consumers, and buried employers and health care providers under thousands of new regulations. According to the White House, 20 million more Americans are insured because of Obamacare. The House will not vote to block the inclusion of Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, dodging a politically charged vote for GOP lawmakers. 
Representative Steve King had filed an amendment to a bill funding the Treasury Department to prohibit the department from redesigning any currency to showcase the abolitionist icon, but the Rules Committee denied floor consideration of the proposal Tuesday night. A federal court in California convicted two men of trying to provide material support to ISIS. They were arrested last year after one of the men tried to abort a plane from Los Angeles to Turkey with the intent of joining the terrorist group. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, both men had, quote, expressed a desire to die as martyrs on social media. Both men face up to 15 years in prison. Federal officials are investigating an incident involving a Department of Homeland Security employee who was possibly plotting an attack on the agency's headquarters in Washington, D.C. According to court documents, Jonathan Weinke, a West Virginia resident, was found with a gun at DHS headquarters two weeks ago. He was allegedly close to where a meeting of high-ranking officials was being held in the building, a gathering he knew about. Per the court filing, officials had, quote, probable cause to believe Jonathan was conspiring with another to commit workplace violence and more particularly may have been conspiring or planning to commit violence against the senior DHS officials in the building. And last but not least, Rory McCloy, the 27-year-old Irish golfer, has withdrawn from the Rio Olympics over concerns about the Zika virus. The sport is returning to the Olympics after 112 years away. Despite the low risk of contracting the infection, he said it is a risk and nonetheless a risk I am unwilling to take since his engagement to Erica Stoll. He said his plans to start a family soon affected his decision. He says, I've come to realize that my health and my family's health comes before anything else. For sure. That's a big deal. He's not going to be competing for Ireland, is it? Not going to the Olympics. Well, um, you know what? If he needs me to fill in for him. Do you golf? I'm beyond my uh, birthing years. So um, I – and I do golf. You golf, I right? golf twice annually. Oh. Do, you, do you want me to write him an email to you send, Yeah, do, just write a – let's just write a quick email. Okay. Mr. McElroy. Okay. Upon how, hearing, how do you spell that? Well, we'll give it to you later. Uh, okay. M-C-L-L-R-O-Y. Okay. Upon hearing that you are withdrawing uh, from the Olympic – participation in the Olympics in Rio, I am giving my – Notice that I will be willing to take your place. That you are eligible. Uh, and with uh, one-tenth of my ancestors being Irish, I feel I can do a jolly good job. How's your accent? Uh, you have to it's pass magically for an Irishman. delicious. Okay, I think, I think we have something good here. I don't no, trust it. Fail. I don't trust it. Well, uh, Caitlin, that's a great story. Thank you. Yep. And maybe they'll write me back if that Probably ever got not. sent out. I doubt it. Hey, uh, crazy story, folks. Now, sometimes it's just fun to be a practical jokester, right? It's just fun to, like, play a trick on your wife. And that was what Artie Ruff of Little Rock, Arkansas was thinking when he and his son decided that they were going to play a little joke on – uh, Artie's wife, Rachel. What they were going to do is put baby powder in Rachel's hair dryer, her blow dryer, and then they just thought, how funny would it be when this like this whoosh of white powder comes out into her hair? Like that's hilarious, right? And that's what they thought would happen. And actually, it is what happened at first. Um, and th- there's a video. We'll put it on our our Twitter feed. Um, but the, what ended up happening is the white powder started blowing out, but because the hairdryer was heating up, it eventually ignited the powder and created a fireball that basically filled the entire bathroom, burning her eyebrows. 
and fire alarms went off. This uh, Artie dropped his phone. Um, we'll put the video up, but let me just play it for you. And so here she is. Rachel's blowing her hair dry. And there's the powder. You can see the powder coming out. Oh, look at the powder. And then... Whoa. Yeah, that was a fireball. Yeah. Do you think she's okay? Well, I don't know. <laughs> the video looks a lot worse than I think I thought it was. I thought it was just a little joke, but... Hmm. Yeah, the phone just kind of cut out after that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem like anyone's laughing anymore. Well, I think the audio cut out, too. Yeah. I find it hard to even laugh now. It looked different on camera. Anyway, we'll post that on our YouTube page. I mean, our YouTube page. We'll post that on our Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. And uh, again, folks, no, don't play jokes. Don't mess around. Do not mess around with a fire object and that it'll heat up. Sure, it just seems like a blow dryer, but there's a heating element inside. I didn't know baby powder was so... So flammable. Hmm. Boy, you learn, don't you? Yep. Apparently she's okay. Just suffered some burnt eyebrows. But, you know, and she's been giving her husband the cold shoulder (laughs) for a long time. It's all fun and games, kids. Until someone loses all their hair. Sad day. Hey, um, another uh, crazy story coming um, out of uh, Frackville, Pennsylvania. It's in the uh, Bad Boys segment of the show. Coaching the con. This is crazy. So how do you get a big screen, 42-inch flat screen television out of your house, of your grandma's house, if you're trying to steal it from grandma? Well, Anthony Edmondson, 26 years old figured out uh, an interesting way to uh, take a 42-inch flat screen out out of Grandma's house by hiding it in a futon. And then he, I guess, just slowly... You'd have to slowly carry your futon out. Grandma's like, where are you going? Just going outside with my futon for a walk. Probably needed to air it out. Man, Grandma, my futon's got a funk in it. I'm just going to go air it out outside. Well, okay, but hurry back. I've got dinner for you. All right, well, what do you think? And then Grandma goes in to watch her her soaps, her soap operas. Her stories. Hey. Hey. Tony, have you seen the television? No, Mom. No Grammys. Anyway, he's been charged with unlawful theft mm. and theft by deception. He's uh, he's apparently he apparently deceived his grandma. So, if so, you if you thieve and don't deceive, lesser charges. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. Thievery without uh, deceivery. Hmm. We're making up words here. Hmm. Uh, theft deceit. Um, it's a whole different kind of thing. Nice. It's, That's good to know. I just you know store that. But I think for all of us, later we, use we probably all ought to remember that um, when it comes right down to it, folks. If somebody's taking their futon out for a walk, mm. check it. Always check the futon. Futons don't need a walk. Futons don't need air. 
I mean, some do. But not around the block, maybe in the backyard or something. But this Tony's stealing from his 72-year-old grandma. Come on. Don't do that. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help. We can't do everything. But we've already given you two major warnings. Watch out. For talc powder, baby powder in a hairdryer, don't do it. Don't even play that game. Don't. Apparently, it's a fire hazard. Yeah, you're playing with fire is what you're playing with. And number two, futons. Well, I, I think we got the most valuable piece of con advice we've ever received. Do you think so? Theft without deception is better than theft with deception. Right. That's a great I just want to get I, the, could... I just want to get the possible charges Clear. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in the future, if you if you are able to get the TV out of the house, but you didn't deceive grandma in doing it. Well, what I need to know able- here, Tony, is did you intentionally deceive your grandma by putting it in the futon or was that an accident? It sort of fell in. I'm not sure how it got in Look, there. I was cleaning stuff. I had my futon on the ground. I put the television down. I just forgot I had it there. I don't know why he speaks like a New Jersey guy. I don't know. What's his name? Tony. Well, Anthony. Maybe, maybe Anthony. that's it. His name hey, is Anthony. A- Anthony. Hey, Tony. Tony <laughs> Edmondson. Are you the guy that stole from your grandma? <laughs> Prepare to die. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like Godfather. Yeah, some, sometimes sometimes these stories go a little sideways on us. But it's because we're trying to help. Does it say where it took place? Yeah. Uh, uh, Frackville. Okay. Pennsylvania. I'm going to guess. Fracking capital of the world. Yeah, that, that was my guess. Fracking is a key component to the economy. Yeah. Probably don't drink the water. Don't drink I the water. I saw story, a story this week in Pennsylvania. People were told, don't leave, get an op- leave, separate an open flame from your water source might be the best approach. Look, don't smoke while you're having a glass of water. Are you serious? Yeah. They, they can't because they have There's fumes gasoline. and vapors and things coming through the water lines from... They feel, some feel, Holy the fracking that's going cow. on. And I've seen reports on the news where people yeah. walk up and light their water as it comes out of the, uh, out of the faucet Timmy, I told you to light the water before you drink it. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. And then the person turns around and says something like, this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, Julie, does your, does your water have the vapors? <laughs> I don't know what it is about these waters, but they give me the vapors. That was funny because Ben came in with the vapors the other day. Do you remember that? No. That was horrible. Really? Yeah. I asked you not to tell anybody, Matt. Well, I just – It happened a couple of days ago. It's fun. It slipped. Yeah. It's not like it's happening right yeah, it's now. Not now. It's less embarrassing when it happened a few days ago rather than That's right, right. It's not happening right now. Yeah. yeah. He had the vapes, but um, what do you do? Man, it's getting dangerous. Yeah. Like I have never heard of a blow dryer turning into a flamethrower ever. Never no, heard of that. I didn't know. And I've never heard of – Water flammable, flammable, flammable water in your house. Yeah, they, they used to see in my day back in the day, they'd call you know water that was flammable, they'd call it moonshine. Mm, right now, it's just tap water, it's just tap water. Or, wow. or what 20 years ago in Cleveland when they lit the lake on fire or the river. Yeah, oh, but there's nothing be- more beautiful at sunset than the river burning. The river burning, yeah, <laughs> which may happen again in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Flint, all of Flint, they've got other problems with the water. They're finding more cities across the nation with uh, lead in their water. You see, it used to be, you know, at least we got good water. Yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. By the way, it's Onion Ring Day as well. Hmm. 
That means another angel got an onion ring. Really? Yep. Okay. Every time you hear that sound, uh, <laughs> it means an angel just received a little... If, if you go to a restaurant and they go, do you want fries or onion rings? Onion rings every time. Just say onion rings. It's fried. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm of differing opinion, actually. You got to get the fries. Well, well uh, again, we didn't ask him. That's right. <laughs> Did anybody ask him? I, I'm no, just representing no. the the majority of our listeners that mm, I don't know onion rings are pretty good onion rings you don't like onion rings really they're just so stringy when you bite into them French fries are a clean bite mm. yeah mm. it's all about the the experience of well, eating the that's one idea you could learn how to eat, eat an onion ring uh, you do have to maybe chew a little bit more because it is an onion mm. yeah but it's that, not just that, a fry that takes longer. Don't you find the ring really interesting? It's a ring. Ring. You don't see you don't see I was going to say ring fries, but you do. <laughs> anyway, hey, it's also chocolate eclair day, and no one can have anything. Oh, an angel just got a chocolate eclair. Hey, uh, you got to love it. It's a good it's a good food day. Mm. We're going to take a break when we come back. Ivan Owen will be joining us. He is one of the founders of EnableTheFuture.org, wonderful, uh, wonderful organization that are giving back to communities. And they found an inexpensive way to take people who have lost their hands and, and give them hands, basically. It's a pretty powerful idea of innovation, technology combined with uh, just charitable outreach. Stick with us, folks. Helping you see the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. One of the goals we have on the show is to help you see the good in the world. And we found a story about um, what I feel is a profound good going on. And uh, Ivan Owen is at the center of this. Ivan uh, Owen is one of the founders of Enabling the Future, which is an online community that helps create and distribute prosthetics to those in need for free and uh, it's an amazing story, and we were so honored to have um, Ivan be willing to be on the show with us to walk us through how he is uh, lending a hand, quite literally giving a hand, to the people in the world that are missing a hand or in need of a prosthetic. Ivan, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Great to have you here. Again, your website is enablingthefuture.org. Talk to us, Ivan. How? How? Okay, first of all, this is a kind of a merger of 3D technology printing and print, printing technology and also the need for prosthetics around the world, and you somehow have put these all together. Talk to us about how you, how you even thought of this idea of using 3D printing to enable uh, people that can't necessarily afford prosthetics to get their prosthetics. Well, it's uh, the, 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 it's it's a it's a, a, a pretty large thing to unpack, but to summarize it as best as possible, uh, the, the first thing that, that that I always like to point out is that this is an effort that works because of the third component, which is the power of community. So um, it's a distributed effort across many individuals uh, across the globe. In fact, um, my my personal involvement in it happened as a result of. Um, being contacted a few years back by a gentleman in South Africa named Richard Fodos, a very talented carpenter over there. And he had seen some of my special effects work that I put on YouTube and 
was trying to build a um, finger prosthesis for himself in his garage due to an accident that he had suffered. So we collaborated together online um, with the goal of just trying to create a single finger uh, through a series of events. Um, we eventually were contacted by uh, the mother of a little guy named Liam, also in South Africa, who was uh, born without any fingers on one hand. Mm. Um, uh, she posed the question to us, can you build an entire set of fingers? So we then attempted that, uh, turned to 3D printing technology, came up with a design, released it to the web. And then from there, um, because we had put no restrictions or um, intellectual property rights on it, we released it into the public domain. A gentleman named John Scholl from the Rochester Institute of Technology saw everything that was happening, and based upon his background in open source technology, he thought to you know, reach out and say, hey, maybe we can form a community and start talking about how we can uh, maybe expand upon this. Wow. And, it, and then it expanded from, from there. And, and now you're to, you have about, what, 7,000 people in the community – and and it's you you really then use open source content and and scheme schematics and drawings and people can download those anywhere in the world and use a 3D printer to print a prosthetic and you have a variety of different uh types and and different uses right That's correct yeah and one of the interesting things that takes place is because the device users and their families are also members of the community and involved in the design process. Some of them are, are even our, you know, our designers within the community. Um, mm-hmm. It really evolves at a pretty rapid pace based upon their, their direct feedback or ideas. Um, and then there's a lot of cases in which we, we now have people that are even building their own device. So it's very interesting to see the full spectrum uh, of how people gain access to a device through this community effort. Wow. And really, these the, the outcome are, are workable, functional hands. And I guess something I had never thought of, um, these kids, they'll outgrow their hand relatively quickly, right? So that, that this makes it so that they can have a hand, um, recreate a hand, and probably with more advancing technology as we go, they can keep refitting themselves. That, that's that's correct. That's the goal, and it's and it's also always important to to point out that this is very much in its infancy. Um, the hands are are very simple function. They they only grasp, and they're body powered. Um, they also, being made of plastic, are are not necessarily as robust as as what would be, let's say, available to the general market. But the the be, the, the trade off and benefit is that they're very simple to repair and maintain, uh, and they can also be produced for about fifty dollars in materials. Wow! So it, it's. It's not yet a perfect option, but it's something that can, um, as, as you said, as technology improves, there's only room for improvement of this process as well. And a powerful thing, too, I think, is just the fact that you've got such a strong community and the community itself, because I guess it's all kind of open source, is they just, they just keep adding and adding their, their ideas to the community. Yeah, and it's wonderful to see how, how people in different parts of the world take it and run with it. It's... Um, you know, one of the, a great example, there's a group now in Paraguay called Po Paraguay, where some citizens of their country gathered together to start innovating there. Um, there's great examples in the UK, in Japan, all over the place where, where people are um, developing the, de- the design further. And then they take what they are able to find in terms of useful innovations and share it back. And you'll, it, it's fun because you can watch and see 
an idea that started in one place in the world being adopted somewhere else, and, and that, that mixture of those thoughts um, leads to pretty powerful uh, and rapid iterations. Oh man, you, it, totally! And you can you can feel that this because it's just such it's such in its infancy. I mean, what will this be in ten years? What and uh, I assume you'll be able to do feet and legs and other beneficial. Uh, tools. How do how does a, a small village or whatever in you know South America or in Africa somewhere? How do they ever get to a three D printer? So that's actually one of the greatest challenges about about this technology at present is that um, it really is an issue of supply chains. So you know, if we were to go to some place, let's say as an example, use Burkina Faso in Africa. Um, because of how remote a lot of the villages are, even if they were to have a 3D printer, if it breaks it down, obtaining the components is mm. uh, to, to replace it is a huge challenge. So, you know, that's still very much an unknown. Um, the the other thing too is, as far as feet and legs, the the printers that are in use, the plastic they produce is just nowhere near strong enough for those applications. So there's a lot of you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, how the how the advancement of this technology will will lead to maybe more accessibility for for that for those sorts of systems too. There are printers that could produce something strong enough to make a leg, but the printers that are capable of that are still only about a quarter of a million dollars to purchase. Oh, so, yeah. you know, that's still pretty at the high end, the high right. end of the spectrum. Um, but the, the the plastic printers are getting pretty accessible though. They can usually be be obtained for between five hundred and. Two thousand dollars for a pretty reasonable printer. You can almost see that eventually this could become a major arm, no pun intended, a part of a lot of a lot of charities out there, right? Because a lot of these charities do have offices and locations in some of these areas. And man, if all of a sudden you could you could work a partnership with a three D printing company, and and then like you're saying, improvement of the of the product. Um, it could be powerful. I, I read in an article about you guys that you, you have everything from like other charities that are helping and, and stepping into even scout troops that are facilitating and, and, and helping, um, you know, make hands and print out some of these hands. Who else is who else are the members of your of your coalition? Who are the members of the community? Oh, it's it, you know the interesting thing is it's such a broad range. Um, we have everyone from hobbyists to uh, university students, um, research scientists, uh, people from industry. Uh, there's medical professionals that are members of the community. They they don't um, they they don't provide it, there there isn't any sort of let's say official medical practice going on, um, but but they provide insight and guidance. Uh, so that's very useful as well. Um, and then there are various entities that kind of uh, spin off and, and, and take pieces of the technology and apply it to what they're doing. So it's, uh, it's intriguing because when something is as open as this, you can have a lot of people come to the table and, and contribute um, and also um, benefit from the ideas that are being shared. Wow. It, uh, I love the idea. And when you go on the website, enablingthefuture.org, you can see a lot of different, um, I guess, adapt, adaptions that have been made, um, you know, a, a hand that can hold a cup or a hand that can hold, a, you know, a, a hand of cards so that the, the child could play cards. I mean, it's just the innovations kind of and designs never end. Th- this seems like this is the future, Ivan, of 
of um, kind of innovation and charity, really. Well, we're hoping so. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, um, it's a technology that lends itself very well to specific customization. Um, you know, and one of, one of the things that I, I think will, will be particularly impactful is the more that the, the end users themselves are able to access the design process um, is where we'll see a lot of very interesting innovations because individuals have such specific needs or, or desires for what they would want a hand to do. Um, that that some of the some of the kids that are using these have even opted to not have something that looks like a hand because they want it for a specific purpose. Right. Like um, there was a, a young girl who wanted a viola uh, a viola bow holder, hmm. and and she worked with some university design students to create something that only does that task but does it extremely well. So you know, and this technology made it possible uh, for that pathway to be available to her. So it was very interesting to see, it's interesting to see those specific adaptations. And for you as a family, it seems like your family has, um, has kind of taken on the whole thing. I know your wife, Jen, uh, runs the site, enablingthefuture.org. I know you've had a child involved in it as well. How is, how is this impacting your family? It's, you know, it's been a, a wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, we've, we've been very fortunate to, um, to have this experience and to be able to uh, engage in this kind of work. Um, for, for my daughter that's involved, uh, it's been a great way for her to learn a lot about uh, engineering and, and uh, math and various uh, things. And it's led to some very, very interesting personal connections, too. Um, you know, we're still we, we still have connection to the the family of the first little guy uh, over in South Africa, um, and so it's it's led to unique friendships. Um, also, other people that we've met through the community along the way. So um, we're we're very grateful to have had the opportunity to to be a part of this. And Ivan, how did it? How did this? Where did this flow from? I mean, I know your background. You you were a designer. Uh, who were and you were managing the Makerspace Lab at University of Washington Bothell? What talk to us? It was that is that a lab that does prosthetic work anyway? Um, so actually, the the, the 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 funny thing is that I, I came to the university after um, becoming involved with with the hands and then later Enable after Enable formed. Um, so. You know, I, I've been uh, I've been fortunate enough to find a, a home here at UW Bothell where they're very supportive of innovation, and they've um, you know I've been able to work with some fantastic professors like my uh, my 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 friend and uh, mentor Dr. Pierre Murad here, and now now we're getting students involved in all sorts of different design projects, um, so that's been fun. Yeah. Uh, but my my background that led to my involvement. Uh, in the, in the first project that kind of was the catalyst for, for me to continue down this path was actually um, art. So uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid in various art forms, uh, and I, I continue to pursue art when I have the time. So hmm. it, it really is amazing that you take a talent like that, a gift of design like that, and then with a few, you know, a few connections to other humans and, and people that are in need, and then the concept of building the site and then the community – I mean, it really is amazing how something so small and simple can become such a big deal. Yeah, well, and you know, the the, the most beautiful thing about it, I, I think, from my, my takeaway after watching this for for uh, several years, is it's really a great uh, one of many great examples out there in the world 
of the power of combined effort um, through through many individuals engaging in this and and contributing what what they're able. Um, it, it can do something pretty pretty neat. So it doesn't yeah. have to be, you know, a major enterprise. It's just everybody giving the little that they can give. Right, and then that adds up, and and it creates something new, and um, you know, it, it's uh, it's 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 a drop in drop in the bucket so far as to what what, what the work that did that yet needs to be done out there, um, but it's movement in the right direction, and uh, um, so it, it gives 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 one hope, right? Mm, totally. Well, and again, I think I think you're into a really powerful area where this is just. This is kind of prosthetics and a community that of, of engineers, of designers, of people that are in need. But I could, you can see so many more applications of similar organizations and and you know, charitable kind of direction. It could almost impact every charitable organization in so many different ways. So we appreciate you. That's why we wanted to at least highlight your story. You are your family has received the National Daily Point of Light Award, and um, that's that's pretty pretty powerful thing as well. Well, th- thank you. I, I, I really appreciate um, the opportunity to, s- to speak with you. And uh, it's, it's always, um, it's always wonderful to, to, to have, a, have, have a conversation like this. Yeah. Well, you're beautiful people. And everybody go check out the website, enablingthefuture.org. And when you get there, just go through their featured stories, incredible visuals, and really, I think another powerful thing is if, if you if you want to get involved, get involved. If you see people that are in need, get this information to them. Get people that are curious, that are construction, that are constructors, get them involved as well. Um, and donate if if you want to uh, to change the world that way as well. Man, great insight and opportunities, folks. See, there is good in the world, and the Owens are just one example. They've been able to bring an, an organization of seven thousand community members. Again, that's how we change the world, is one at a time, but together we'll conquer. We'll take a break, folks, and uh, be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back with a little Coach's Corner. Stick with us. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. welcome back everybody to the matt townsend show i'm telling you folks life is good and we sit here we get so caught up in the news from like orlando and the political news but meanwhile there's just a family from Arlington that's running a site and uh, for 3D printing of prosthetic hands, right? And they're not, again, they're, they're not bionic. They're not, sometimes the plastic doesn't work. They're, they're strung together and made functional by, you know, strong fishing line. Um, so they're not perfect. But what they've created is a community. And it, I really feel like it's, it's the model. It, it is the model of of charity. We've seen it uh, on the show. We try to bring you a lot of these people so that you can see the good that's going on out there. But this world's going to be changed by by groups of people, by communities of people. It's no longer going to be done by one person. So we, we spend all of this this time on Trump and on Clinton, and yet the world's going to be changed by more people like the Owens that we just heard from. 
Uh, Margaret Mead has a great quote that says, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So you're a part of that community, and um, everybody's got something to offer. Again, the community is more valuable than probably um, some of the things that we we might hope to have happen. I mean, I would love this charity, uh, enablingthefuture.org, to be able to move much faster than it is, for example, um, to you know improve the lives of thousands or millions of people if possible. But really, in a way, that the community has to go at the community's pace. It has to go at, a, at their speed. Um, and the benefit of it going at that speed is that eventually that uh, community will be able to sustain itself and grow itself, and it will grow so organically that it will probably have a better impact on life and on um, on its purpose, on its goal. When we think about all this technology and, and the, how it enables us, how it takes us to a completely different level, what what are you doing with it personally? Um, it, it's, it can be to your advantage. It can be to your disadvantage. And we always have on the show the people that come and talk to us about technology and how it's, we end up wasting our time and how we might be able to take better advantage of it. But simply finding a community – we also talk about the fact that a lot of our, uh, us feel like we're being, you know, we're becoming more and more solo uh, creatures because of technology. It's not actually broadening my circle. It's making me, you know, be impacted by what others are doing and then I pull away and are, you know, depressed because I don't have a boat because <laughs> I just looked at my friend's Facebook page and he just took his kids out on a boat and I don't even have a boat. Um, the reality is, though, again, it's this is another example from – enablingthefuture.org, that you can go belong to a, a bigger community. So imagine that you're just – imagine you're uh, an engineer and you've always loved putting you know the, the furniture together from Ikea and that always has been exciting for you. But you hardly you, – you're, you've bought all the furniture you need. Where can I use my talents? Um, maybe you have kids that are no longer in scouts so you can't build the Pinewood Derby car for them anymore. <laughs> As many fathers – are known to do. So what you might be able to do with some of your great skills is to reach out and find a community. We're all members of a greater community, right? And if we could find a way to go take our talents, our gifts, and hook into an organization like enablingthefuture.org, it's a chance to give back to the world. It's a chance to serve. It's a chance to then use your gifts, your talents, the things that are unique to you. I'm not an engineer, so if I became a part of this community, I would probably just be a cheerleader on the side, uh, maybe a fundraiser, but I wouldn't be one that's that's innovating the device or the the the, the design. But that's not my role. But there are designers that would be great there. So. Don't get down. Don't get discouraged when it comes to all of this technology, when it comes to um, what you can offer the world, because really what you can offer the world is just you. And if we can find ways to to get into these types of situations or create some of them out of BYU, we've seen some pretty amazing stories, including uh, the design of wheelchairs um, that were just made out of PVC pipe um, that are incredible for people 
there's just no end to the the needs of the world and your gifts and your abilities. So don't just sit back and think you're done because you're retired. Don't sit and think that, you know, because you're a stay-at-home parent that that you know, that's that's enough maybe. Maybe what you could do is if you're still being called to go innovate, if you're still being called to use your talents, your gifts, you know, your degrees, go find a charity, go find some community to be a part of. It could be your church community. It could be giving back to your school community on the PTA. There's so many ways that this world needs you. And maybe that is the fastest way to create a better world. It's it's probably not through political you know, drive. And it's probably not going to happen through just a business endeavor. Um, don't ever look away from the idea that it might just simply be giving back, serving, and being a member of a community. Powerful, powerful things create uh, these these wonderfully powerful charities. But the the thing that's probably most important is a person that cares, a person with a heart that wants to belong and wants to do what they can. And that, I believe, is you, my friends. So we'll take a break, come back, uh, continue the discussion. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world and helping you be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, as you know, we like to do on the show, we, we always are here to, uh, to help you uh, get a leg up in life. And we found an interesting story out of uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. Listen to this. A minimum security prisoner escaped from a halfway house in Alaska and then, after getting away, decided to come back three hours later, uh, but not to turn himself in. State troopers say 20-year-old Joshua Yaska returned with an SUV and tried to help other inmates flee the facility in Fairbanks. Staff members say uh, Yaska was spotted leaving on a bike just after 1 a.m. Sunday, and the trooper said he returned about 4.20 a.m. By the way, somehow found an SUV. Just apparently somebody had left it for him, donated it, and tried to aid in the escape of other inmates. Authorities say he tried to uh, strike the, uh, a halfway house employee with the vehicle. And anyway, they, they caught up with him that night after he broke into a relative's home. Now, we're trying to, as we were talking about the story with our team, we decided, you know, sometimes when you make a plan, it sounds better. Like it, it, it seems like it's better in your head than it really gets rolled out, you know, as you're, as you're trying to break everyone out of the prison. And we, we thought that uh, when it comes down to it, that he, he probably thought it was going to be more like a Braveheart moment. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Yeah, see... See, he thought it was going to be like that, this Braveheart moment where he just he would motivate them and they were all pumped up. and They're like, yes. And then they storm out of the building. Uh, it actually ended up sounding more like this. And then he was arrested. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it sounds a lot better. Like, you are free, man. And it's more like, I. 
Gotcha. Yeah. It always looks better when you when when you're thinking it through. Hey, you guys, I'm breaking you out. <sighs> That's the problem with being a criminal today. You got to think it through and yet you may not have the capacity to think it through. Hmm? See? This is why you got to be careful, kids. It's uh it's never it's never going to be pretty. Um, as we talk on the show so many times um, and, and get into life, it's, it's always harder than we think it's going to be. I mean, think about it. When in your life has it ever just been easy? Like, ah, holy cow, life is so easy. Because if, if the minute you're thinking, man, life is easy, it seems like you're setting yourself up for something big to happen. Have you ever felt like that? The minute you start to think, boy, this is a cakewalk. Or the minute you think that school, for example, is just, oh, it's so, boy, I am loving what I'm doing. Then all of a sudden something weird will happen. And it might even be good, like a promotion. Now all of a sudden you get a promotion. So no longer do you just get to be you know, a great salesperson. You now get to manage eight other salespeople. Which is so great because, right, it's more money. And then you start hearing them tell the stories about how their car didn't work, so they missed the appointment, and then it didn't. (sighs) If there's anything I've learned in life, just give it time. If it's too easy, it'll get harder. If it's too hard, give it time because guess why? It'll get easier. The great benefit of life um, and, and things that we think are easy, things that we think are hard just give it time because in the end, it'll get, it'll get better. It always does. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Gordon B. Hinckley, who was once a president of uh, the Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the church that uh, runs BYU, owns BYU. And one of um, his great uh, quotes that he's, he's so known, known for is um, simply keep trying, be believing, be happy, Don't get discouraged. Things will work out. Be happy. Keep at it. Keep believing. Be happy. Don't get discouraged. Things will work out. So if you've ever doubted, folks, take a big, deep breath. Things will work out. Just give it a few more days. Don't give up. Just get busy. Get working on it. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Guess what? Oh, I'm so excited. We're about to get to one of my favorite guests. He's on about twice a year. Tim Pitchell's his name, and he is the he is really he's the anti-procrastination guru. He's going to teach us how to quit procrastinating. And uh, just as just because of who I am and the people I surround myself with. This is the most important topic ever. Wait, why? 
because it, we are going to learn how to create better structures. It's, it's procrastination is about your structures, your rituals. But not, why? Why because of the people you're around? I, I don't get that. Well, I just I just have a few people around me that make it a little harder to to well, plan ahead well, to well, prepare. Well, Caitlin's right here. Yeah, and I appreciate her. She's super helpful and uh, fairly on time and doesn't procrastinate we're as much as others. Ooh, I'm in here, Ben. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about you, Ben. We're talking about you. I don't want to. I don't want to be rude, but we, really? we we are officially speaking about you in a good way. I mean it in the best way possible. And uh, you're you're a great man. Uh, sweet spirit. Very very ruggedly sweet. good looking. Anyway, we'll be talking to Tim Pitchell today about uh, how our routines and our practices become the rule. They become the way you're either going to procrastinate or not. If you have the right structures and routines, it will keep you from procrastinating. Powerful stuff. True. And uh, we'll get to that in a few moments. Also, a lot of upcoming uh, topics we're going to have to talk about. uh, Naked Sleepwalker Loose in Manchester, England. We're going to talk about that. And um, the guy walked all the way to the city center. Anyway, crazy story. That sounds and, like my sister. And, and also a mother. Does she sleepwalk? Uh, yeah. Wow. I could tell stories. Well, we don't have time. And I'm afraid to know what they'd be. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> Another uh, show. A mother uh, fights off a burglar with a crutch and a vacuum cleaner. Sick. When in doubt, hoover it out. <laughs> That's the rule. Mark it down. Put that on a meme. We'll get to that uh, along with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. They'll be joining us. We're going to find out what's uh, what's happening up on their show at the top of the hour, plus a lot of other headlines, little coach's corner and the hero of the day. We've got a full hour. Stick with us. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Well, House Speaker Paul Ryan's fundraising plans for the 2016 election don't include Donald Trump. Just a day after the presumptive GOP nominee called on his fellow Republicans to help him bulk up his war chest following revelations about the huge cash gap between him and Hillary Clinton, Politico reported that Ryan will be focusing solely on raising money for the House and Senate. Ryan is known as one of the most prolific fundraisers in the party. Only 55% of Bernie Sanders supporters say they plan to vote for Hillary Clinton in November. Um, An entire 22% of Sanders supporters said they will vote for Donald Trump in the general election. And another 18% they would back libertarian Gary Johnson. At a Times Square hotel on Tuesday, Donald Trump met with nearly 1,000 conservative Christian leaders for a few hours in a closed-door conference designed to assuage evangelical Christians' concerns about the presumptive GOP candidate. The reactions from all parties was positive. From the initial standing ovation for Trump to the public reaction afterward from several evangelical leaders who said they are more excited about Trump than before the meeting. According to reports from those in attendance, Donald Trump said that, quote, we don't know anything about Hillary in terms of religion. Mm. Okay, done with politics. Okay, good. Here we go. You know how it is, Matt. You wake up with a sore throat, then after five minutes of Googling, you're convinced you have super Ebola. Have you ever done that? Uh, I have. Have you? Well, Google wants to do something about that, so Consumerist reports the company is launching a, quote, symptom search feature this week to give better medical advice. The feature allows users to put in a symptom, then get a list of conditions related to that symptom, as well as more information about the symptom and possible treatments. Google worked with a team of medical doctors to carefully review the individual symptom information, and experts at Harvard Medical School and Mayo Clinic evaluated related conditions for a representative sample of searches to help improve the lists that they show. Well, I guess this is good. This seems like maybe not good. I mean, now everyone can get on Google, 
and self-diagnose themselves. But what? Let me just tell you, as a doctor, hmm. uh, feelings doctor, as a doctor with a PhD behind my name, right? I feel strongly that um, I like that other people will be able to diagnose their own problems because then they won't come up and ask me if this mole looks cancerous. <laughs> right? They can just Google it. Yeah. Is but, this a cancerous mole? But we need to be clear, like, you are not a medical doctor. So, like, no. th- they wouldn't right. be coming up to you about yeah, a mole Yeah, but do you know how anyways? many people probably see doctor and just assume that he knows that? Oh, yeah, stuff? for sure. I'm a doctor, for crying out loud. Kind well, of a doctor. Well, yeah, I think mm. you keep underestimating that. Like, well, uh, like, I'm a... Now Google's a doctor. Yeah. Good for Google. Does that scare anyone? Go else? make a Google's go make, got a lot of power. Why don't you go make a few more billion Google? What happens when Google crashes? D is for Doctor Alphabet. So Google's Alphabet. Now we're going to have a diagnostic tool. Right. Does this look swollen to you? And then you'll just take a picture of it and send it in. And send it, and Google will reply, "Yes, it does." Yes, it does. Come see our Google <laughs> Doctor. Not good. I don't know. It's just technology. I think personally, it's making a more informed um, patient. So when the patient goes into the hospital. I, I had a son who was passing a kidney stone. He was told he had four kidney stones in him. He needed to pass those four kidney stones. We went into the hospital, and he was suffering, like, pains in his abdomen, and they thought it was an appendicitis. But he was really passing a kidney stone. Yikes. And they wanted to do all these, ten- the, these tests mistake. for the appendicitis, but it was a kidney stone. I knew it because I've passed one, two, actually. Chip and Rock, great kids. They're also, painful. I also pass, and then my my daughters passed some, and my son had four, and they're trying to tell me it's an appendicitis. And I said again, I'm a PhD of emotion, and you're making me mad. He's got he's passing stones. Well, if you think it's that, I mean, yeah, can you just give him a painkiller and we'll hydrate him like crazy? And bada boom, bada bing, 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 passed the stone. Yeah, that was four. He had four. You're so smart. He only passed three. He only passed one, I think. You're so smart. So he's out there, weird thing. If you shake my son, he sounds like a maraca. True point. <laughs> um, thanks, Caitlin. You're great, welcome. Great I'm news. Out. Way too uh, out. Caitlin's out. Um, by the way, <laughs> Ben's been out for years and never admits it. <laughs> Anywho. I, I'm what? What? No, anyway. Sorry, I just woke up. Yeah, no, we'll just, that's fine. We'll just move right along. Um, crazy story about uh, a, what do we, how do we put this? Um, a, a mail carrier carrying the mail in Utah apparently wasn't delivering the mail. What? He was just dumping it, just getting rid of the mail after a woman chased down and followed the person to find out that he was just tossing mail. So if you're not getting your mail out there, folks, do what I do. Get in your car and follow the mail person, the mail carrier, and see if they're dumping your mail. And then climb in that dumpster and get your mail. Shouldn't have to do that. But people are doing that. Just giving you a little heads up, right? The Pleasant Grove woman in Utah discovers that the mailman is dumping all the mail in the, dump, in the dumpster. Then she got on his case. It was like thousands of pieces. 
It was thousands of unopened, undelivered mail dumped in the dumpster in her neighborhood. She was totally shocked. So chased it down, figured it out. Bada boom, bada bing. Next thing you know, the guy's fired. Life's good. Um, another crazy headline we got to get to before we run out of time, because this is a this is a must do. Officers in Manchester, England, had to help a sleepwalker back to his hotel because he was at, he was wearing absolutely no clothes. So this guy in the middle of the night walks out out of his hotel room, naked, naked, walking down the street, and as he's walking naked down the street. I mean, imagine what you're going to run into. We have video of it here, right? I mean, edited video, of course. Cars almost hitting him. Oh. Snoring his way through Manchester. Think of how many people were upset. Steps on a cat. You know how dangerous it is in Manchester about three in the morning? Sheep walking everywhere. You get stampeded. Anyway. Lions. Tigers, bears. I think that was actually a T-Rex. Oh, it's a T-Rex. Yeah. They still have T-Rex over in Manchester, England. We've got the video up. We'll put it up on our Twitter page. Finally, the cops pull up. People were calling. They wake the guy up. This is how you know he's really has proper somnambulism, they call it. Proper nude somnambulism. Hmm. Sleepwalking. Is because when they woke him up, the guy smiled, just like shook it off, and laughed. Sorry. And then they put a coat on him. Walked him back to his place. So kind of, did I do it again? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, again, it's scary enough to to sleepwalk, but then to sleepwalk naked, I think the rule, obviously, is sleep with clothes on. That'd be my guess. If you're a sleepwalker, you know what I'd wear? I'd wear a three-piece suit. Be dressed for every occasion. You can take the tie off if you have a no-tie occasion. Maybe take the jacket off and you just look kind of sporty in your vest. But wear clothes. Go to bed with shoes and socks on. You never know. He could have stepped on glass. I don't know if you heard it, Terry, but there were like sheep. Mm. And T-Rex, or it sounded like, a, I think I'm pretty sure it was a Jaguar right. from Brazil. Right. Yeah, it was kind of hard to tell because it was dark outside. Yeah. But. Anyway, the guy was grateful for the help. Thanks for getting me back. He's lucky he's not dead. Yeah. You know, in a gutter somewhere. It's a great story. With all the other sleepwalkers. Um, we're talking procrastination. Tim Pitch will be joining us. And... Love this guy. He's one of my favorite guests, but he's going to he's going to help us with our systems, the structures we set up, the rituals, the practices, the routines, so that we can we can basically default back to being more effective, which heaven knows uh, we need on this team. <clears throat> Any other headlines, Terry? We need to pay attention to. Yes, a uh, hmm. How do I put this? This is some important stories that we've found over the last few weeks. This is one that's been kind of hanging out there. Clayton Linton was sitting on his toilet admiring his newly tiled bathroom floor when he first saw it. He was like, I cannot believe it. There's no way, he said when he saw the image. Clear as day. An image of presidential candidate Donald Trump standing with arms folded emerging from his tile floor. 
Really? He goes, what are the odds? One in a trillion? When Lynn asked the workers remodeling his bathroom if they saw it also, they all said, yeah, we see Donald Trump right there. Wow. So there's a perfect image of him. Like in the tiles. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look like at clouds and you'll see an image as sort of an outline. Yeah. Some tiles have certain patterns that you can make, possibly make out something that looks were, similar. Were his tiles, are they orange? Are they orange tiles? The picture I saw looked kind of brown sort of. So, yeah, it's close to orange. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So every morning when he's in the shower or when he's going to the restroom mm-hmm. or whatever he's doing, he gets to, he gets to look at Donald. And Donald, I guess, look, looks at him. Uh, apparently. Apparently. Workers for the company that installed the floor say people can see all sorts of images and tiles, sort of like when people see objects in clouds, or you'll see the occasional piece of toast on eBay that looks like yeah. something. Something. Sure. But see, usually, like, it's an image of the Virgin Mary. Yes. Or crying some, blood. Right. Some religious God, yeah, yeah, Christ. But it, rarely Donald. Donald in your bathroom tile. Is he is, – does he – is he a, a Trump voter? Yes. Obviously. <laughs> or he would have he plans to vote for Trump out. this fall. He said he sent the image of his floor to the Trump campaign, hopes he'll pay a visit. Well, it seems like this is probably a sign that he needs to vote for Trump. I, could be. When you looked at it, could you see Trump? No, no, not at all. Good. So <laughs> I was looking at it. I know like, where okay, you are. Politically. I'm re- really, does that show your bias if you can or cannot see yeah. Trump in this man's bathroom yeah. tile? It, you may not have the eyes to see. You may not have the faith. Apparently. You may not have the Trump hope, we call it. Hmm. We'll put that up on our uh, on our Twitter page as well, at Dr. Matt Show, if you want fun. Go there. Check it out. You get all the great headlines there, plus the videos of everything except uh, the man walking around Manchester. We're not that kind of show. We will take a break and come back, folks. When we come back, uh, Tim Pitchell will be joining me. Seriously, just a wonderful man and a great uh, scholar on managing your time. Uh, He's a professor that's been studying it and studying procrastination and why our routines, our practices, our habits are so important to our success. Stick with us, helping you uh, get your time back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, sometimes we don't get things done because we're too busy or too stressed or depressed. Sometimes we procrastinate because we don't know how to accomplish a task or don't have enough resources. But have you ever procrastinated simply because you just didn't feel like doing anything? Even when we are at our healthiest and most energetic times, sometimes we just don't feel like getting things done. Today, we have the director of the Procrastination Research Group at Carleton University, Tom Pitchell, one of my favorite uh, professors, I think, on earth, because it seems like I relate to him so much. And he's here to help us combat procrastination and talk about how our structure, our, our routines, our procedures that we've set up might be the key to, uh, to give us a little cushion when we with our procrastination problems, Doctor Pitchell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Thanks very much, Matt. Good to be back. Great to have you back. Seriously, I feel like I learned so much when you're on. Now, this article you talked about, um, it brought up an interesting point because you were just talking about you were sick, right? So if you had a cold and when you had the cold that had hit you, you didn't have any desire to do anything. Um, I have that every day. (laughs) It's funny you say that because that's what prompted me to write is that I'm a pretty high energy person and sometimes I can get impatient with others when they'll say, ah, no, I'm too tired. I don't have the energy. I'm thinking, just do it. Just do it. Don't Duh. worry about that. But here I was facing this cold, and I had a bit more empathy and realized that, yeah, some people just feel worn out. But that doesn't mean we have to give in to feel good, right? Like, right. Th- this is the key thing, is that on any given day, and you said it so nicely in the intro, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. And there's lots of things I don't feel like doing. In fact, if I waited till I felt like it, I'd get very little done. And I have a hard time convincing my children of that, of course. Right. Right. Dad, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. And I say, on what given day do you ever feel like doing your homework? Like, what day do I say, hey, what do you feel like today? And you say, I feel like doing homework. It doesn't happen. So let's take that off the table. And then the question becomes, so how am I going to get past that? I mean, that is it. How do I get past the feeling? Because the feeling, it's almost like we feel justified, I guess, right? Because we think, I guess, we should be doing what we feel feel like doing. But meanwhile, we have a job, we have a family, we have, like you always talk about, the stalls to clean out. We, we've got stuff to do. Yeah, we do. And it's interesting. I like the way you put that very much, Matt, because I think listeners might say, well, what are you telling me I shouldn't do what I feel like? Right. It's a bit of a paradox here because, of course, we should do what we feel like in our lives. They are our lives. We need to be ag- agentic in our lives. We have to be in control of our lives. But so often, if you really look at it, you'll, say, you'll realize you're not doing the things that will lead you to achieving the things you want in your life, right? And so it's not a matter of ignoring your feelings as if they don't matter, your real feelings. I'm talking about those feelings of, not now, I'll do it later. Right, right. <laughs> because that, that's just a big excuse. And so I can drill it down to something really simple like flossing my teeth. You know, oral health is really important. Exercise, just in the New York Times this past week, was a great essay again about how really, if it was a drug, it would be the miracle drug. So why is it we can put off things like flossing our teeth and doing exercise? And so often it's because, oh, I'm too tired. I don't feel like it. And then, of course, what I argue in that piece that you read is that what can save us, what can get us past that is a habit. If you can structure your habits around these things, then you're less likely to just fall prey to that. Like if you mean my habit, like my... Bedtime habit, if it includes flossing, brushing, rinsing, if I just make that a habit and and exercise energy to make that a habit, then I just do it automatically. Right. And then everyone's going, well, if I could make it a habit, I wouldn't have a problem. How do I make it a habit? Well, you have to make little things. You have to have these little wins. Look for things that are real keystone ideas here. So for me, I always brushed my teeth, but I wouldn't floss. And for me, it was, okay, uh, I'll make this simple intention. When I pick up my toothbrush and paste, which I always did, I'll put the floss on the counter. Hmm. When I put the toothbrush down, I'll pick up the floss. And so I'm starting to establish a habit. And after a little while of that, of course, there's the floss, and I've picked it up. So it takes really 30 seconds to floss my teeth. So now those nights when I'm really tired... I don't have to rely on the exercise of willpower because I've got none. Right. Yeah, you're done. You're spent. Instead, it's that I've, I've got this muscle memory of, oh, yeah, I've put the floss on the counter and I pick it up. And so 
I, I really don't want to do battle with myself every day because if I'm relying on my willpower, we know from research willpower is a limited resource. We exhaust it quickly. We're going to give in to feel good. What's going to feel good? Not doing that. <laughs> Not right. doing it. Yeah, we act like a six-year-old. <laughs> we really do. And then we, and then we also have the nerve to like be surprised. Like, oh, I think it's I can't believe I've got conjunctivitis or no, that's eye disease. I, I can't believe I've got uh, my gums are receding because I never I never take care of them. Well, you know, and even when your dentist tells you that you're still likely to say, but I don't know how to floss. I just don't know how to get myself to do it. Right. And it's these little baby steps that we have to put together to create these habits. Now, another one I mentioned there is exercise because exercise is a miracle in all our lives. Right. But it's so easy to say, and we, and we do it all the time. Like as much as we know it feels good, we think, oh, I'm just too tired. And so for me at 60 now, I've found that yoga is life-saving. Yeah. <laughs> but yoga feels so good. I can look at it when I'm sitting down at, say, 8.30 at night, and I've had a couple of battles with the kids or whatever. I'm uh-huh. just too tired for this. I say, Tim, don't make it any bigger than stand up and stretch your arms over your head. And then, of course, that feels really good. And then it's just, okay, let's ex- exhale and lean backwards a bit. And you know where the story goes. There you go. Soon, I'm doing yoga. Yeah. So it, it's establishing that muscle memory, that habit. And also, of course, you heard me say it, I have to just look past those feelings for a moment and say, what's the next action I could take? I just need to stand up and stretch. Don't make it any bigger than that. If I think I'm going to do yoga for 30 minutes, I think, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm I'm just going to stand up and stretch. Then I'm doing it. And, of course, that's the thin edge of the wedge, they say, or it primes the pump. And pretty soon I'm doing exactly what I need to do and what I really want to do. That's the point is, I guess, the thin edge. You don't need to get the fat edge of the of the wedge in. You just need to get a tiny, tiny little wedge in. Yeah, and I think it's such a powerful metaphor because it just cracks it right open. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting there is that a couple times now I've used this expression, we give in to feel good. But that's the hedonistic form of feeling good. It's like the the actual um, just fun, just uh, a pleasurable feeling. I think pleasure is a better way to think of it. But there's the, the Greek for the eudaimonic form of pleasure that comes from pursuing our meaningful goals. And it's a much more powerful form of happiness. And so the moment I'm up and I'm stretching, and I, don't even, I don't feel just good about the stretching, but I feel good about me. Mm. I feel good about being engaged in the activities that matter to me. So I think everyone should remember to contrast that, yeah, I can have the hedonistic pleasure, but there's the eudaimonic pleasure that comes from doing that trumps it every time. It's long-lasting. It it, uh, builds my sense of self. And so sometimes that's what I have to focus on, too. I say, okay, yeah, it feels good to be sitting here. It feels really good to be living the life that I want to live. And yeah, and and like you said, being an actor... um, and uh, kind of having my my agency, knowing I'm an agent of my own existence instead of just a reactor. Absolutely. You know, Matt, you began by saying you like chatting to me because you think you learn so much, but I don't get to talk to many people who pick up on that sense of agency so quickly. That's really important. Yeah. I'm glad no. you went back there. That It is a sense of, this is my life, and what am I going to make of it? Because the only non-renewable resource you and I have in life is time. So the question is, what am I going to do right now? Because this promise of tomorrow is illusionary. And right. so what am I going to do right now? Because this is who I am. What choices am I going to make? Am I going to be the six-year-old? 
or am I going to be the person I want to be? Now, that doesn't mean that now that's miraculous. Then I have to lay on top of that those strategies we're talking about. Okay, so if that's the case, what's the next action? Because those actions will come back to what we've been talking about, which is building habits. And that piece you read was, yeah, don't try to rely on your strength. Try to rely on your habits. You know, in that piece, I also wrote about the fact that I used to teach whitewater canoeing. And it was easier to teach it to women sometimes than men. And that's because men would always try to muscle through the water. Yeah. You know, they'd, they'd try to push the boat into places that they shouldn't be, but they often succeeded because they could just do it. For yeah, will while. their way through it. Whereas the women realized, I can't put the boat there. And I say, exactly. So let's use the water here. And in a sense, that metaphor is very powerful. And I have to start to use the, those things in my life that afford me uh, the, the habits that I want. Mm. Rather than fighting against human nature, which often is, I'm too tired, I, then I build in habits that allow me to work with my own current. Yeah. Powerful and, metaphor for me because I realized the day that I had a cold that I was trying to muscle through right. and I didn't have the muscle. You didn't have the energy, the muscle, the tools. Dr. Tim Pitchell's joining us. We'll take a break. Uh, go visit his website, procrastination.ca. Uh, interesting uh, information, tools, the stuff you need to, uh, to create um, the habits for healthier living. Stick with us. More with Dr. Pitchell when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and uh, stronger. Stick with us. the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Timothy Pitchell, and he is um, the author of the book Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, also has, has written with, in many journal articles as well, and is a uh, writer on psychology today as well. He's the director of the Procrastination Research Group at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. If you go to his website, um, you, can, you can go to procrastination.ca. Canada, and you can get right to the Procrastination Research Group website. So, good stuff, uh, Timothy. Again, welcome back, and thanks for teaching us really what is so basic yet um, seems like such a big uh, jump. You're just saying focus on the small stuff. Yeah, I am. But you know, one of the things you picked up on early too was this notion of procrastination, and that it's it's not really about time management. I think that's an important thing to stress here that. Uh, we just finished. I was on sabbatical this past year. In fact, it ends next week. Oh, bummer. <laughs> uh, I guess so, but it's been a fantastic year. Very productive and also very restorative. And we finished a book, a colleague and I, an edited book that people can see on procrastination.ca. It's called Procrastination, Health, and Well-Being. And in there, I wrote a chapter on emotion regulation. Because procrastination is not a time management issue. It's not like we're broken somehow and we don't know how to manage our time. It's an emotion management issue. Because procrastination... It's a coping strategy. Yeah. I, I use avoidance, and that avoidance gets me away from bad feelings. So I have bad feelings about a task. I'm bored. I'm frustrated. I'm resentful. I might have fear about it. And so if I avoid it right now, then I, those emotions disappear, at least temporarily. So it's really the focus needs to be on emotion regulation. And when we figure that out, it's like figuring out I'm not eating this third piece of chocolate cake because I'm hungry. Yeah. And it's, then the lights go on, and then you start to developing your own strategies for how not to procrastinate so much. 
Yeah. You know what? That is just – you just blew my mind. Just as a relationship coach, it's the same thing, right? People that are trying to avoid conversations are really about emotion emotion management, people that are escalating conversations. It really is – most of this is just about self, self-mastery. Oh, yes. Very much so. And so much of our self-mastery, because that word mastery is an interesting one. Um, you know, what we're probably trying to master in so many ways is our limbic system, that older part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain that reacts quickly to the world around us. It's been very adaptive for us, but it can get in the way. And we need to, as Brene Brown talks about so well, we need to talk about the stuff that gets in the way. So what gets in the way? Well, the immediate reaction I have to many tasks is uncertainty and fear. And I have it all the time. Like, I'm successful in my work, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't face a task and I have this free-floating anxiety or concern and it has to do with myself, as you were talking about. Yeah. And I, I have to go past that, right? I, I, I don't even know how to rationalize it sometimes. So instead, I lean on the words of one of my favorite uh, writers, Parker Palmer. Oh, I love wrote, Parker Palmer. Mm. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's see. so funny. I didn't, he really is. He got me through my master's program by reading him. That was awesome. Well, that is awesome. I think if we were closer, we'd be dusted. We'd be hanging out. We would, because we think a lot alike. So you'll know that Parker Palmer's written things like, I may have fear, but I need not be my fear. That's just one of my biggest mantras in life. And then he adds, because I can work from some other part of my inner landscape. And in there are things like curiosity and ambition. But at the moment, fear's got me. Hmm. Fear is a powerful, basic emotion. But I can have my fear without being my fear. So, you know, I talked about yoga. Yoga is great for my body, but yoga is really good for my mind, too, because mindfulness meditation, neuroscientists have demonstrated, really works on our brain, the plasticity of our brain, in the sense that it down-regulates that limbic system and it up-regulates our prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that's responsible for planning and organization and impulse control, and I'm able to do the things that I need to do. So that meditation allows me to do what Parker Palmer says, which is have an emotion without being an emotion, because mm. I'm able to non-judgmentally just be aware, yeah, I'm really freaking out about this report. That's, that's real. I am freaking out, but I don't have to be that emotion. I can just say to myself what you said a moment ago, which, what's the next action? Yeah. Right? What's the next action I need to take? And then I make it tiny. Well, I need to turn on my computer. I can do that. That's easy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that, it is that simple. I need to turn on my computer. I need to find the file that I'm writing in. I need to start writing. Yeah. Oh, that. But even there, I've got to be, be careful of that one because that's going to get a little bit vague. That's vague. that's bigger. Oh, I, I, I need to I need to write the first chapter or the first paragraph. I need to put down a couple of ideas of what I would write if I was going to write, but I'm not going to write. I really have to trick myself. I have to oftentimes say, okay, I'm not going to write, but if I was going to write, what kind of things would I say? And I just put those down. And, you know, just the other night I was doing homework with my 11-year-old girl. Now, she just finished school. She really wanted to chill, but she's got this big assignment. I said, let's work on that first. And, of course, I got all the resistance, but finally (laughs) we got to it. And I said, okay, I know we're not going to do the assignment, but if you were going to do the assignment, what would you say about this PowerPoint slide you've made. Why did you take this picture at the vet? She went to a vet to huh. learn what vets do. And she started to tell me about that, and I started writing it down, and lo and behold, we were doing the work, right? You've got to look for that very low threshold of entry, because the moment I say, do your work, it just becomes huge. And she's like, I can't. 
the moment I put it to, to a question of, so tell me a little bit about this photograph. Well, now we're doing the work, but she doesn't even realize it. Yeah. It talked to us about, because one thing I, I try to do, um, it's almost like you're backdooring. I call it backdooring my brain because you're, you're tricking it in. Look, who even knows if you're going to get to writing? But if you were going to get to writing, what would you do? Um, then it's almost like I, I get into it. What I end up doing is I'll jump into my project or whatever I'm doing. And um, I will – it's almost like it will take me 10 minutes to find the file, to get the thing where I need it so I can figure out what I was doing the last time I was doing this writing project. And I, it's, I'm so far behind because I didn't leave it well. You know what I mean? I didn't leave it in a way that I could easily just do it again. Yeah. that's Well, you're a coach and you get all this. But, yeah, that's a tough one. I think that, that you have to think a little bit about future self. And there's quite a gap between our present self and our future self. I think I might have joked with you before that Homer Simpson gets it so well. He says, yeah, that's a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, like I'm going to leave it like yeah. right now because future self will deal with it. And so I think you're right. We need to be proactive and realize that most projects extend over time. And so uh, to the extent that I can leave it in a manageable way, I'm going to be able to pick it up more easily later. But the thing is that even if I have to jump in somewhere in the middle, uh, let's not let that be a barrier either. Like, so, yeah, I jumped in not at exactly the right place, but at least I'm here. I'm doing it. Yeah. Because that, that actually quells that, that uncertainty. It makes you feel better about self. As you said, it's that component of self-mastery. Mm. Like, I'm still here, and that's what I'd really like to be able to do, even though every cell in my body is screaming, run away. Run away. Get away from here. Oh, man, Tim, it's so true. Okay, I got to go. Oh, I've, got, I've got a deadline I got to meet right now. But, Tim, we love you. We'll have you back. Keep writing. And everybody, go to the website, procrastination.ca, and get the book, uh, Procrastination, Health, and Well-Being, uh, Tim's great, greatest and latest work. Thanks so much again, Tim. Good stuff. I'm serious. I don't know what it is. He's just, we're in the same vibe and groove. <sighs> There's hope, folks. And chunk it down. Tiniest, little, smallest, smallest chunk. Start there. We'll take a break. We'll be right back visiting our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time of the show where we get to go down and uh, relax and just enjoy the camaraderie that we feel with our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen! And there they sit, quietly in awe. I know it's Spencer and Brian today. Can you guys hear us? I can hear you now, yes. Can you hear us? I, you I, missed my you missed my solo entrance. What did you sing? When soul meets body. Wow, that's that song. That's by the, the way, song that's, right now. that's really I, good. I've never heard this before. Darn you know it! That is Matt. What? No, no, I don't. Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, that's right. Cab for Cutie. That's the band. Death Cab Death for Cab. Cutie. Death Cab for Cutie. Is that like an '80s? Oh, Brian. '90s. Brian. Thousands. Yesterday. <laughs> Get some culture, man. I am. I I do have culture. <laughs> what well, you don't like when, cabs for death, dead when, people? Okay, when was this? When like 
When was this? Is it eighties? Is it what that is it? song probably came out in two thousand four ish, two thousand five, something like that? Oh, okay. So yeah, that I would that was when it was like just strictly Lil Wayne. At that point. So, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, oh you I, were in your little Wayne yeah. little Wayne little Wayne you know we- that was my little wheezy phase. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there was it was a it was like a touch of gospel was in there. Yeah, here yeah, there. man. Like Sunday I, Sunday mornings only. But I remember yeah. my little wheezy uh, phase. Yeah, <laughs> but I had asthma, and I was a child, and I was a little wheezy. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, yep. No, it's not. I'm serious. I I, I was asthmatic and. Don't say wheezy because it just gets to me. Yeah, wheezy. Hey, uh, did you guys hear about um, the band um, Red Hot Chili Peppers saving a woman's life? No. Mm. Yeah. We we talked about it yesterday on the show, but the, the lead singer of the band, um, what's his name? Mr. Oh, it's really good. Uh, oh, Anthony Kiedis. Anthony I Kiedis. they were girls, Red Hot Chili Peppers. They, they were. Brian, Brian, you are. <laughs> hey, don't dude. judge me. Brian. Don't judge me, man. You're, oh, okay. Keep going. Okay, Matt. so James, is it James Gordon has the show, The Late Late Show uh-huh. with James Gordon? And he James does. Corden, yeah. Corden. And he does the, uh, he does the, the karaoke, ca- yes, the karaoke rides. Fantastic. So, so he fun. had Red Hot Chili Peppers in the car. They were driving all over LA. And guess what happened? They got out to do a little segment where they all dance, had a little dance off. And while they're having the dance off, a woman runs across the street screaming that her baby's not breathing. And Anthony Kiedis takes this baby in his arms and does kind of a pseudo CPR thing on him, rubbing the belly kind of thing, but uh, saves the baby's life. What? I know. But let me just tell you, because, again, uh, Corden's show, The Late Late Show, they didn't show anything about it. They didn't talk about it. They didn't. It was it was announced by Anthony Kiedis. So because so many shows would have like made, you know, made hay on that issue. But no, they laid, they gave the lady her privacy. It was really cool. Oh, that is cool. It's that really cool. cool. I mean, it's yeah. not. Let's be real. It's not death cab for cutie, but it's pretty close. <laughs> death cab for cutie, Matt. I honestly, I think you would like their music. I got to get into it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go download it. I downloaded some Red Hot Chili Peppers yesterday, so now I will go download. What's the song I should download? If there's one song that's a life changer. Death Cab from for Cutie. What's the song? Well, when the one you just listened to is a good place to start. What was that one called? Soul Meets Body. Soul Meets Body. Ah, oh. do you remember when your soul met your body? <laughs> I don't remember that instance. I kind of remember that. Oh boy, I here we like go, Brad. Five years old. No, I was in. I was in first grade. <laughs> what were you doing the first four years of your life? I was in first grade. You had no soul. You were soulless. You know, we were in. So I went to a, a, like a private school for my first couple years of elementary. Was it a and Christian school, Brian? It was, yeah, it was a Christian school. And I remember we were like in, in summer camp or something, and the teacher was like, do you want to accept Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior? And I said yes, and that day that's when my body and my soul met. That's wow. So, okay. I didn't know we'd hear your conversion story. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you came to BYU. What was that like, Brian, coming from soul camp um, that then to BYU? <laughs> Um, it was different. I, you know, what's, what's interesting is, is like coming to BYU and just hearing, uh, just the doctrine and, and just the, the way of life wasn't really surprising to me just because that's how, you know, I was you raised very yeah. Sim- yeah, I was raised very similar. What really got me the most was just all the white people. I, you know, you, <laughs> you saw, have not seen this much white, so many like, shades of white. And everybody just looked the same, you know, <laughs> like that was and obviously with, with like it's the other code and you got to shave and whatnot, but 
Yeah, that was the biggest, you know, shock to me. Yeah. Because everybody looks the same. And I had issues with my teammates because I couldn't remember their names. Because I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's nothing to really remember you Yeah, by there's no specifically. hook. <laughs> like, you don't have a mole Gym. on your left yeah. foot or, like, cheek. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yeah. I so. experienced that a little bit in South Korea. Did you, when too? I, when I first got there. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we were talking to people on the street and. I I was I, every day I'd be like I swear we talked to that guy yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, hey, John. Yeah. Like, no, I'm but not then John. the longer that you're in a culture and around that, like you start to see stark differences, yeah, and then yeah. they look so different from one another. But early yeah. on, it was like, isn't that it, interesting? We talked to that guy like seven times. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that is like this guy's messing with us. I swore He's... I gave him my gushers. <laughs> He's playing. See, that's why you, all you got to ever say to get through it all, you just got to, Bri, you just always say, hey, bud. Hey, bud. Then you don't have to remember names. Hey, oh, pal. Exactly. That's hey, a, that's hey, a, hey, buddy. Hey, man. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Sup. Hey, bro. Sup, bro. Hey, bro. Hey, you. Hey, dude. <laughs> Guy. Yeah. Friend. You know what? That's universal. You just hit something, Brian, that's totally universal. We all struggle with that until we get accustomed. Yep. Until we get into it. Mm-hmm. Now you can't get enough of us white folk, huh? Oh, nope. These are my white people. When I, I see a black person come in, I'm like, these are my white people. Back hey, off. Brian. Back I, off. Back off. Do you, here's a guy. question for you. Do your friends do your friends from like back home or from wherever you grew up, do they think you're more white? Um, no, they just, they don't think I'm more, I'm more white. Well, I, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, so it's just a lot of diversity. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, yeah, there's... All different types of races and and, uh, and and couples and I mean you'll see like an Asian with an Indian, black with a white, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So they don't think that um, they just they just can appreciate when I'm around certain or in certain environment how I can you know pronounce my e's and my r's uh, <laughs> and know when to act uh, you know yeah. uh, the way I should act right uh, when to know. act like an adult <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. that's it. I think some of that, that's not white. That's just BYU broadcasting. That's, I, yeah, that's just, I, I, you know, I got to give, I got to give my, my mother uh, props for that. Cause she, shout out know, to Brian's mom. Yeah, yes. yes. She Love taught, she yes. taught you, she raised you right. Yeah, exactly. She did. She that's raised cool. me right. She raised me to, to know my environment and situation yeah. and when to speak Ebonics and when to, you know, <laughs> speak proper English and when to speak American. And then when to invoke God. <laughs> hey, um, talk about your show coming up. I know you guys got to go wax on, wax off. What's what's the topic of the day? First of all, we're ready to go. You're Secondly, always ready. the topic of the day, what are the three toughest games on the 2016 BYU football schedule? Now, you might think, oh, okay, whatever. When you hear how different Brian and I Look at this and our takes on this. It is unbelievable. And then you look at all the different publications across the country and different experts. We are all over the board with this. Is there going to be a fight? There might be. Fisticuffs? With one one team that Brian picked in particular, there there might be some – well, there will definitely be some verbal jousting. (laughs) Holy cow. This is exciting. Okay. Oh, gonna... Also, we have an All-American on the show, Shay Collinsworth, whose husband just so happens to be Kyle Collinsworth, who's trying to make an NBA team oh, while yeah. she's trying to make the Olympics, so they're kind of busy. Mm-hmm. And Blaine Fowler is on the show, national champion. We have him on once a week. Man, this is a good show. Plus, there might be a, there might be a fight. Listen, what, if there are any BYU football fans, just 
Brace yourself for what Brian's bringing to the table. <gasps> wow. Okay. I, I don't even know. I'm in. I, I'm scared for myself. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying what to did think I say? Of our meeting, what I said. Dude, I bet it has something <laughs> to do with Michigan State. Yeah, what it's going to happen. Mm. I don't know. I'm mm. confused. Okay, guys, it's going to be a great show. I can hardly wait to watch it. It's only four minutes away, so go go to work. Yeah. yeah. There, there are away. a couple of teams on there that you will be shocked that did not make the list. That's great. The good yeah. stuff. Okay, guys, be good. Okay, Love goodbye. you. Peace out. Good job. Thanks. Um, I wonder what team it is now. Now I'm dying to know. They play. BYU plays Arizona, Utah, UCLA, West Virginia, Toledo Rockets, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Boise State. Man! Uh, Cincinnati Bearcats, Southern Utah, UMass, and Utah State, where usually someone breaks an ankle. That's a bad year. (laughs) That's a hard year. Hard season. Hey, uh, we've got a great uh, story for you about it. One tough mama. Listen to this story out of Oklahoma City. Police say a metro mother used a crutch, a vacuum cleaner, and a knife to fend off a burglar. That was great video. As you know, on the show, we like to show a lot of video. Uh, Many radio shows choose not to do video. But I've never seen a woman fight like that. So the – and the vacuum. That Hoover was working. I I didn't know you could use a vacuum like that. Like that. Talk about taking the tough stains out. (laughs) Check this out. The Oklahoma City Police Department says that the suspect, Kenneth Williams, had attempted to break into a couple of other homes that night in the area. And then he got to uh, to Natalie Williamson's home. Natalie's daughter saw Williams force his way through the locked window and through and throw his backpack inside. So she did what any mother would do. She got a crutch and started slamming him in the face with it and he wouldn't get out he wouldn't go down he wouldn't get out of the window so i picked up the vacuum out of the hallway and i started slamming him in the face with the vacuum this is one tough mommy and he still wouldn't get down out of the window so i proceeded to punch him with my fist and he jumped down i mean maybe you start with your fist always start with your fist and williamson said she said the burglar asked her to meet him at the front door with his backpack hey ma'am so can you bring me my backpack to the front door i mean i know this is a lot to ask But I'm going to need my backpack so I can leave. Police say she did meet him at the front door, but with a knife in hand. Williamson and her neighbors chased him down and kept him from running until police could arrive on the scene. Williams was taken into custody and booked into Oklahoma County Jail on complaints of first-degree burglary. Let's let's just go back to the video, see if, if if she's stopped fighting him yet. Sounds like she's making a smoothie. Yeah, I can't watch that. That's the fight that never ends. Was she making a smoothie there? No. Apparently not. Hey, as you know, we like to end the show with a hero story. Here's a quick one for you. London driver rescued from a submerged car after passersby throw bricks to smash the windows. The driver clambered out of his flooded Mercedes and waded to safety after passersby threw bricks to smash its windows. 
Graham Price became trapped in his vehicle after being caught by flash floods in the London area amid torrential rain and thunderstorms this month. Mr. Price was stuck, though, until because the rapid waters were holding him in the car. He couldn't get out of the car. He couldn't break the windows. Finally, a group of teenagers rescued him by throwing bricks at the windows, shattering the windows, and he was able to get out. He said, to be fair, the teenagers saved me. It took uh, by taking a brick and throwing it through my window. That's a phrase you'll never hear again. So uh, kudos to those heroes, those teenagers that were willing to think fast and be there for someone in need. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow. Make it a great one. Take care of each other. Look after each other. And we'll talk again tomorrow.